Welcome to another episode of the Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon, skeptic, and Keller Williams agent. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group is about networking and doing deals. This ain't your grandma's Rhea, folks. No smell of stale coffee, bin gay, and or disappointment here. You know what I'm talking about. RDI is also this podcast where once a week I sit down with interesting and successful business people getting shit done, and I pick their brain for your entertainment and hopefully education. If you enjoyed this podcast, give it a like, man. Share it. If you haven't already, if you can go rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, whatever app you're using to listen to my grading voice, I would greatly appreciate it. You know, If you have any comments or suggestions, Go to renegadedetroit.com and let me know if you're interested in attending the local meetings. Go to meetup.com forward slash renegade Detroit investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit investment club. You can hit me up on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Snapchat at Jeremy Burgess. And yes, T minus 30 days, YouTube videos will be going up. I finally figured that out. So go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit wholesalers for those who would prefer to watch and or listen to this on youtube so we're finally there legal disclaimer it's the way of the world folks you crying ass bitches keep whining and suing this is why we got to do this shit in no way shape or form should anything that i and or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice we highly recommend that before you make any investment or investment decisions you grow the fuck up and you contact a lawyer or an attorney or somebody anybody you think is smarter than you and you be adult and you don't sue me all right show quote of the week I don't know Mike that well. I haven't seen him in years. So I try and pick a quote that I think, I think, and I've listened to not all of his podcasts, but I'm going to say like two thirds. He has so many, uh, but I, I try and pick a quote that sets stone for the podcast and hopefully for your week. The way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing Walt Disney. The way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing. Let me introduce you to my guest folks, Mr. Mike. Simmons, Mike started his real estate and business investing business in 2008, right as the market was bottoming out, at least that in Southeast Michigan anyway. For the first seven years, he methodically built a successful flipping business. Over the last few years, he has also acquired several buy and hold properties. Last year, he turned his attention to wholesaling full-time and in August partnered with Mike Cowper, and he's been on the podcast twice. Super awesome guy. I knew he was going to get snapped up like that in a heartbeat. Go listen. Mike Smart, local investor. And together they uh, formed Return on Investments LLC. They come regularly to Renegade Detroit Investors. Tons of deals. Mike also hosts, it's one of my favorite podcasts, a successful podcast called Just Start Real Estate, where he interviews some of the most successful real estate investors and the country, while also drawing on his years of successful real estate investing to educate and inspire both new and experienced investors. Uh, Mike Simmons is also a husband and a father of three. If you want to get on his wholesale list for Metro Detroit, soon to be the world, go to webuyroi.com. That's webuyroi.com. If you go there, give him your name, phone number, and email address. He will send you a shit ton of good deals. If you want to listen to his podcast, which I highly recommend, it's juststartrealestate.com forward slash iTunes. And if you go to facebook.com forward slash Simmons Investments, S-I-M-M-O-N-S Investments, 
Check them out on Facebook or send them an email at Mike at Just Start Real Estate or Mike at We Buy ROI. And for those who are always wondering about my really terrible joke when I say Mike Squared, this is the other half of Mike Squared. Because what do you do when they're both Mikes? So thanks for coming, Mike. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on. That sounded like you've done it a few times, and I'm exhausted from listening to it. That's a lot of talking. <laughs> it is. I try and get to it as fast as I can, but uh, you know, I don't no, want to get awesome. sued. No. And uh, I like to do a proper introduction, and then just get it out. <laughs> you know, just get get the plug in out of the way because some people yeah. I know only listen the first ten minutes. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Try to get as much value for my guests as possible. Listen, before. it's impressive because uh, I I do my podcast, and I and I can stop it if I make a mistake. And I know how hard it is to run through that much uh, uh, talking without making a mistake. And it was pretty flawless. So that's pretty good. Thank you. Well, actually, I had that choice. Steve told me, "Why don't you just record that?" Yeah. And you can cut it in every time. And I yeah. thought about it for a minute. But one of my goals is I wanted to be better live and on the radio. Yeah. And the only way to do that, I think, is lots of practice. Yeah. So if you go you back know, and listen to episode one, I suck. So. Yeah. it's You know what? It's totally true. I, I kind of learned early on. I used to go back in my podcast and I would, I would literally go through and erase all the ahs and the ums and all that stuff until someone who was really good at podcasting and very successful said, just leave it in. People kind of appreciate that it's real. Unless you say, um, every other word, it gets annoying, but you know, to hear it once in a while, it sounds real, you know, it doesn't sound as produced. And I think that's what people identify with, especially in podcasting. One of the things I love about starting a podcast is listening to myself and realizing how terrible I was <laughs> at speaking. Yeah. If you don't record yourself, you don't know. You are no. absolutely correct. Yeah. The number of ums, ahs, I still do it. Wow. I said, wow, so many times, like, Jesus, I'm an asshole. Why didn't nobody punch me? <laughs> I know you need a list of like, wow. <laughs> yeah, you need a list of like, you know, words that you can use in place of wow. Holy cow. Jeez. Darn, you know, like I know I would get stuck on a word too and didn't realize how stuck I was on it until I listened back to myself and went, Oh my gosh, I gotta come up with I gotta open a thesaurus and look for other words to use in my in my dialogue. But uh Or my heavy mouth breathing. <laughs> yeah. You doing, Mike? You're like, Oh man, I need <laughs> I need to pay more attention when I'm recording. Yeah, this I don't stuff. breathe enough when I talk when I'm on my podcast. So I, I do the same thing. I'll, I'll hear myself exhale. Like I just take a breath every once in a while. You know what I mean? Don't wait until you're done for ten minutes. Well, Mike has a shit ton of episodes. You started your podcast, Just Start Real Estate, and you did it daily for yeah. a long time. Yeah. How long did you do that daily? Uh, I did it daily for about a year and a half, maybe maybe slightly less than a year and a half. Man, for um, those listening, if you don't know what kind of commitment that is, that's yeah. that's a big commitment. It, it was tough. And, and actually, I started in October of, of fourteen. And in January of 2015, I got strep throat and then I got bronchitis in the same month. And I, I just kept doing it. Like I was, there was days where I was deathly ill. Like I would be on the couch all day for, except for the half an hour or hour when I'd get up to do it. And it was brutal and I probably didn't need to do that, but I just sort of like locked myself in that I was going to do it every day. And, and I did. And it is hard. It's a lot of work. You know, Dude, I fucking love it. I, it's like, no, I don't care. I'll do it on the toilet. I'll do it live. Yeah. Fuck it. I'll do it live. I know. And here's the funny thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do it live. Uh, Throw some shit around the yeah, house. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing is I was, I had a, a I don't know. You don't have it in your microphone, but on my microphone, it's a cheaper microphone. It, there's like a, 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 what do you call those things? The thing that keeps you pop from. Pop filter. Yeah, pop filter. Yeah. Thank you. Pop, pop. Like a little rubbery 
pop filter thing, and I, I have my mouth basically right up on it. So I had strep through, and I'm on this thing, and I can't get rid of it. I'm taking the medicine. I can't I can't get rid of it. And I think what I, I had to change the pop filter. I think I'm, I'm, my mouth is on this thing, and I'm, and I'm every day, and I'm wondering why I can't get better. I'm inhaling and exhaling through basically a filter of you know strep throat that's on my pop filter. So it was completely ridiculous, but, yeah, I did it. I'm glad you did. A year and a half. That's that's absolutely. It. What made you decide to do it every single day? Uh, so when I decided that I wanted to do a podcast, I was a, an avid listener. I still am, but not not quite as often. Of John Lee Dumas, uh, pretty big big time podcaster in the industry, and he was offering um, a mentorship. You know, like a paid coaching program. So I took it, and he, you know, he's every day. And he just said, you know, that's what I do. And, and I really admired that he did it. And, and I, I thought I could do it. And so I did it. I mean, he, basically, he was my mentor. And, and I really appreciated how he did his podcast. So I tried to emulate that as much as possible. So I thought uh, doing it every day, it's not going to be easy. But if I batch it, you know, you can kind of get in a rhythm. And I did get in a rhythm. But what you find out <laughs> is... It's very it's very easy to go through every person you can think of to interview and everything you can think of to talk about if you're doing it every single day. I've got like 330 of them now. And you know, I don't do them nearly as often now. It's a lot it's a lot less frequent, but I I just I, I've said everything, you know. And I can go back with a new perspective and I get that and I and I definitely can do that, but what I don't want to do is just crank them out with the same information. I want to I kind of now I I sort of wait until I have something that I think is really valuable. And un- unfortunately or fortunately, things in my in my business, my actual real estate business have taken off and kind of exploded. And it's been difficult to to carve out time to go and actually make those episodes like I was doing it before. And not that I wasn't doing well, but it's a whole different ballgame right now. The explosive growth that we're going through is is taking up a lot of my time. So that sounds like bitch. I'm too busy count my money. I know it does. It sounds it's like awesome. a, like a, with, I, I, I'm really a big fan of Adam Carolla, and, and he calls them humble brags. Like, yeah. oh, I would love to do a podcast, but I'm too busy making so much money. It's like it's kind of a BS thing to say, but it's. I mean, it's just we're busy, right? Whether we're making money or not, we're trying like crazy. So, uh, you know, I'm exhausted at night. Basically, is what it boils down to. And my wife wants to see me for some reason. So, yeah, I don't understand why they're like that. Yeah, exactly. don't, don't you keep the bank account full. <laughs> exactly. I gotta get on the radio. One thing I did notice, and if the statistics are correct, I'm not sure if you know how many subscribers you have, but you have 126 reviews on iTunes. Yeah, I I worked pretty hard to get those. That? I I I worked really hard to get. I actually can give you some. I I I don't know. I've only I've been through this once with you, right? So I have a, a, a sequence, an email sequence, kind of a loop that I send out to my guests and things to try to take advantage of their social media, whatever they have, whatever moxie they have there, and and try to really encourage them to to review me. Um, I begged for them early on a lot. Um, that's really it. I mean, a lot of that kind of stuff, but. Uh, you know, posting things on on Twitter and stuff, and, and just be, being active in social media really did it. But I, I begged basically for for a year and a half. Well, then I'm going to beg some more. <laughs> I, I think I am at month eight, and I have six. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> I ask for them every time. Well, uh, honestly, in the beginning too, I. I, I had my friends and family make all of their kids and their kids' friends. And I mean, honestly, probably the first 20 reviews are like friends, family, and, and friends of family who hey, maybe never even heard they count. the show. They all but count. Yeah, they all count. So uh, I will say this, guys. You know, when it comes to iTunes, it's a big black box. No one tells you how you get ranked for sure. I mean, there's a lot of theories, and people think they know and they do well and they don't do well. 
uh, getting reviews is, in my opinion, it's one of the best ways and fastest ways to go up in the ranking. So if you're enjoying the show and you don't review it, it's like it's it's free. All we're asking is that, and, and all Jeremy's asking is that you give it a, a quick review. Be honest. And and it helps tremendously, tremendously. So if you don't do that, shame on you. You know the show Dude, could be you gone. sold the shit out of that man. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you if you don't do it. No, we're gonna strangle three kittens tonight. Yeah, if you all don't. we have we're three gonna cats know. in the studio, and we're right we're now. Waiting. Yeah, Mew. three people don't call in and say they just reviewed it. They go. What made you decide to start a podcast? You know, it sounds kind of like be. I understand we can curse on this show. Absolutely, right? we could All say right. we, we market explicit. You try. <laughs> right, I right. I thought for one minute of keeping this thing clean. Yeah, and if you know me, that's just not possible. I know. I so. keep mine clean. I don't even know why, but um, it's not really how I talk normally. Broaden your appeal. Yeah, I suppose. I if suppose. I thought I could do it, I would have. I want to be it. the Jimmy Fallon of uh, podcast. No, <laughs> so the reason I started it sounds like bullshit, but what the real reason was. Well, there was twofold reasons. There was a very selfish reason, and then there was a very, very generous reason. The selfish reason was I know from being involved with speaking at local RIAs and being on stage and kind of being a little bit um, highlighted by by certain people in the in the in the area that it helped my credibility a lot. And I got a lot of private investors, and I met a lot of people, and I got a lot of maybe at the time undeserved credibility because I was kind of thrust in front of people early on so the selfish reason was i thought a podcast would go a long way to creating more credibility um maybe reaching outside of my market for investors and things like that if i could if i could demonstrate that i knew what i was talking about um so that was that was one reason and and then honestly the other reason was when i started my wife and i we would go to local rias and in groups and in different masterminds and we had a lot of questions and we were hesitant to ask them because there was a lot of people there that really seemed like they knew what they were doing. They seemed like they had a lot going on. They seemed very successful. They were intimidating. And we were scared shitless to ask dumb questions. And we really thought they were dumb. And they really probably were, but they weren't dumb. They were just novice questions, right? So to someone who's been doing this for years, it's it seems like total common sense, but it wasn't common to us. And we were afraid to ask them. So we made a lot of mistakes and we really stunted the growth of what we were trying to build because we were just afraid to ask the basic, basic questions. Like everyone will sit and talk about high-end real estate techniques, right? It's kind of sexy and it's fun. Oh, I'm thinking about doing this and I'm going to have a syndicate and all that great stuff. But when you say, I don't understand how title work works. I don't get it. Like what does a title company really do? Like those questions seem stupid when you're starting and you're afraid to ask them. So I started a, a podcast that was specifically intended to be geared toward the very new people and answered very basic questions for people so they didn't have to feel stupid in their local markets asking people. I think it's okay if you do something <clears throat> nice and it benefits you. Yeah, it, it was too. They're trying to make us feel guilty about yeah, it. Yeah, and I'll be I'll be honest okay. with you. I did 300 I've done 330 episodes and I would say what I've given in terms of emails to people who have asked me questions, you know, people who wanted to meet up for coffee, oh, dude, there's gold putting there. stuff out there. I have got, I have put out way more than I've gotten back. It's yeah. not like I have this huge stable of, of, of billion dollar investors that are just going to throw money. at me. That didn't really happen so much. Um, but what I did do, the unexpected uh, benefit of having the podcast was I did meet people outside of my little bubble here in Michigan. And some of the people that I met outside of this little bubble 
have been instrumental in what's happening right now in my business with Mike and I. Um, some of the concepts and some of the, the the ideas and things that people are doing in other parts of the country and of the world had a huge influence, and that I can credit that with a lot of what's happening now. Success for me and Mike, it's it's really had a lot to do with people that I met through my podcast. Well, I think I always encourage people to put themselves out there and what they want out there and whatever it is they want, because I think if you don't put it out there, you can't find other people. So it doesn't surprise me at all. Totally. You inspired me to do it. Although at the time I didn't realize that's what you were doing. When you used to come to Renegade Detroit Investors, I had a broken RDI model where I, I was attempting to get people like you to come on a one day of the of the month at a particular time, put together a presentation for free. I'd buy them dinner or drink or some shit like that, right? And then try and get them to show up on a Tuesday and deli- deliver some sort of 45-minute presentation trying to encapsulate their wisdom. And that shit just didn't fucking work. I mean, it was great when they did it and it was awesome. And I really appreciate everybody who came, but it was a nightmare. It just, it just yeah. didn't work. I couldn't get people to come. I couldn't get people to say yes. And why should they, why should they take time out of their schedule for practically nothing and do all this work? And then I was like, why can't I do a podcast like mine? What if instead of getting them to come to the meeting, I got them to come and then we could do it anytime Yeah, on their time. They don't have to prepare shit. Yeah. Yeah. The onus is on me. These guys show up and I'll plug them and I'll, they'll go out to more than just 35, 40 people in a room. You know, yeah. I kind yeah. of figured, so it <clears throat> totally. helped me. Thank you. I appreciate it. No, so. I, that's nice of you to say. It's actually really nice. Um, it's true. People are lazy. I'm lazy. You know, I, you know, results I, I suppose, driven. I would say. Yeah. I, results driven. Doing a bunch of shit for free. Exactly. Now, that being said, everyone's different. Everyone has their own motivations and things that they think are important. I've never turned down a speaking invitation. Or something like this. I've never turned it down before because I feel like, like, first of all, who the hell am I? Like, why? Who am I to turn down when someone is nice enough to ask me to speak at something that they're that they're doing? Uh, I don't really think, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not the president. What do I have going on that I can't show up for a half an hour and do something? So, uh, I, I, for me, it, it makes sense to do it. You know, it's nice, even if it doesn't. You know, not that I. The the cool thing is that people don't realize sometimes, especially if, if there's anyone out there who has been asked and doesn't do it, usually when you go to something and you give your time and your energy and your and your knowledge, whatever that is, usually something good comes back to you, right? You meet someone who's interesting there or whatever. Usually good things come, but not always. So sometimes it's just nice to to be a little bit generous and just be a good person. You know, I'm not the best person in the world at all. Uh, I have my my flaws, but I try to at least be gracious when people ask me to. You know, they're nice enough to ask me. You know, because first of all, I always have this: who am I? Like, who am I? Who am I to to tell anybody how to do anything? Um, it turns out that when I was new, when I looked at people who were where I am now, I was you know impressed and and I and I was really wanted to learn from them and even though maybe they didn't take themselves all that seriously I was they were farther than me so you don't have to be a genius if you're one or two steps past the person who's talking to you and trying to find things out you're very valuable to them right you don't have to be Donald Trump so um anyways I don't even know if I answered your question but I think it sucks when people say no when when you know that you know they're not speaking at the Pentagon that night so they could probably carve out in a half an hour so I always try to do that well, that's nice of you. I, I understand people have lives and they want to make money. And I think it was a good idea. This, this format works way better. A new RDI format works way better. And I think 
it's podcasting powerful. is is a good way to yeah to get these things in here because I get to pick your brain about how you got your podcast so big. I know. So, you have no idea how much more relaxing it is to come in and actually be interviewed than to be the interviewer. Oh, it's yeah. it's way hard. People think, hey, just ask questions and sit there. It's easy. No, it's way harder. It's a lot easier to be the guest. I enjoy being the guest. Well, I, I'm just glad. I won't have to worry about keeping you talking. That's usually my general worry. I have hundreds of questions because <laughs> you always got that yeah. one person. They're like one or two word answers. You're like, fuck, it's going to be one of those. Yeah, All I'm right. not that. I'll, I'll ramble a little bit. <laughs> That's excellent. That's what we want. Um, how did you decide on the format or the very, cause it's kind of, it's progressed. Like everything, it improves. I think anyway, yeah. I think episode 300 is way better than episode yeah. one, but obviously when you're putting this together, how much planning did you put into it? how did you, how did you decide which direction? What, what, what did you measure? what did you track? I, I put a, I, I put a lot of effort into it, especially in the beginning. Cause I didn't know what I was doing. It was a new thing. Right. So I over-prepared a little bit. Um, again, John Dumas was my mentor, my coach, and he runs an extremely scripted. And when I, when I say scripted, I don't mean the answers are scripted, but his questions and his format is very, very consistent. It, it's conversational in pockets, but he has questions that he always asks the exact same questions in the exact same order. So he does that because he does. I think he does it seven days a week. I'm pretty sure now. I think he started at five and he went to seven, but he said he does he that. Started at five and went. To yeah, seven. exactly. That's five insane. wasn't enough. He realized he had time on Sunday, so he yeah. decided to crank. No out more a few sleeping more. in. Yeah. So he did it that way because he said, if I'm going to do this many, I have to create somewhat of a production line approach. So it can't be different every time. In other words, it has to be consistent so that he can be consistent. So, anyways, that's what I did, and then I got to a point where I had like when I started, I had like eight or ten questions. And I realized I was getting guests that actually the the opposite of what the problem that you have sometimes I was getting guests that were talking a lot. So I wasn't getting through all my questions and I was struggling to get through them. So I pared down my questions and I just figured I know I can talk. So if I have less questions and there's I feel like we're going to be short, I can fill it in by talking a little bit. And then as time went on, I still have some questions that I ask everybody but it became a lot less structured than it was in the beginning so that's from a from like a mechanical standpoint that's how it evolved and that's how i started but from just an energy level i listened back to episodes one through you know 60 and the start of my show um i usually say like um episode you know just start real estate episode number 185 and it was like just start real estate episode number 50 it was like i was gonna read a you know an insurance manual next and so that changed insure your car with yeah it's like you know there was no energy i thought i had energy there's no energy so what i realized was when i start especially when i start the podcast you have to put more energy in to sound like you have energy so i I kind of push it a lot farther you know it's like just our real estate episode you know i'm like way into it so that that was a difference, and I think it just it's more interesting to listen to when someone has energy when they're talking as opposed to just talking like this monotone. It's like people just turn it instantly. So the energy level changed, and then my format got a little less scripted over the years, or over the year and a half. I would say also more well practiced, right? Yeah, you get better at asking questions, and you get better at interacting, anticipating when people are gonna 
kind of they're, when they're slowing down, you know, they're kind of getting to the end of their point or when you can tell when they're on a roll and they're getting to something good. Um, I think the worst thing I hate that I really hate when I listen to podcasts and the guest is asked something and they're answering and it's kind of an interesting answer and the host will step over it and like talk over them and ask them the next question. It's like, would you let him answer the goddamn question? Like, just don't. One of my heroes, him. Grant Cardone, does that. Fuck, he is a terrible interviewer. The guy could sell anything, but yeah. he needs to take some interview lessons. He yeah. does that all the time. It is a skill. I mean, it's it's not it's not easy. It's it's not easy to carry an interview. It just isn't. Um, but you get better at it. You get used to it, and you get a little more comfortable at it. And you can kind of tell when your guest is a one word answer person, or when they are, you know, really verbose and they're going to talk a lot if you let them. I've had guests where I had to break in because they were never going to stop, and it was almost like they were filibustering. Like maybe they didn't want to have to answer a lot, so they would take one question, like, and they would talk for ten minutes, and and I would just have to break in because I I knew where they were going. They had already been there and lapped it a few times, and were, they were going other places, and you know, you, it's hard sometimes to control the interview when the interviewee never stops talking you're right so it's sort of a good problem because as the interviewer you don't want to be the one talking the whole time but uh you have to guide it a little bit make it interesting right when it starts starts getting boring the answer starts rambling like i'm kind of doing now you have to learn how to rein that in so you're not doing it i look at my how i measure my success is the the least amount of talking i do the better, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, ones listen to fucking thousand episodes of Jeremy. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel the same way because when I was doing them five days a week, the format was Monday was an interview with, you know, a successful investor. Tuesday through Friday was just me like talking into a microphone. So to your point, when I did have a guest, I tried really hard not to talk because they had already heard me enough. You know, I, you get one guest for every four or five episodes, you know, you need to shut up once in a while. So that's kind of what I figure. Well, now that you're the salt, salty podcast veteran, <laughs> what do you track? What numbers do you track with your podcast? Or at least, I don't know if you do anymore. You probably still do. But when you're really trying to grow it and you're really pushing, what were you tracking? What I'm trying to get a little, well, little knowledge I mean, here. You know what? I'm, not, I'm probably not the best person because one of my problems is I'm not, I'm not, disciplined when it comes to metrics I, I try to be but i'm not um and and with itunes they don't give you a lot of information so the only thing you can really shit. track is downloads it's, it's really downloads and where geographically your podcast is being listened to so i know that i am in every country in the world you know obviously some places it's just like one little point of a pin that one like literally one person listens to me <laughs> in like zimbabwe but but i think i'm pretty much in every country at this point um and then you have concentrations so i try what i try not to do is look at the heat map or the the map that shows you where your downloads are coming from and like say it's you know california is a big one it always is I try not to I try not to let it get into my head that I have a lot of people in California because I really don't want to run a California slanted interview because I'm not in California number 1 and I don't know how to do that but I don't want I always want I always talk as if I'm where I am right so I'm from Michigan so I can't intelligently speak about real estate in California I just know it's more expensive right I think the game is the exact same it's just instead of spending $60,000 to buy a, a flip property you're spending 360 on the exact same house so that's all I really know. So I try not to think too much about that. I, I sometimes I'll throw that little caveat out there is like, hey, 
this is what a flip looks like here in Michigan. I understand it's different in other parts of the country and other parts of the world, but really it's just the numbers shift up and down, but it's the same concept everywhere. So in terms of what I track, downloads for sure, um, where I'm at, how many, you know, how many places around the around the world that I'm that I'm at. When I do an episode, I can usually tell by the emails that I get, the volume of emails. Um, uh, and a lot of that has to do with, too, my guest. That's why I go back to what we said in the beginning. I really try to push the person that I'm interviewing through emails and follow-up thank you emails and things like that to please, please, and I give them links to make it as easy as possible. Please put this out in your social, um, you know, your social network, and that helps a lot. I know guests that have a lot of, you know, weight in the industry, so to speak, those those spike my numbers, right? And and people who maybe are a little bit more local or not really known or don't have a big presence online, you know, it, the numbers tend to be smaller that day, which is fine, <coughs> excuse me, because I know that everybody, local investors, regardless of how many people they have following them, have a lot to say and a lot of good information. A lot can be very, very helpful, especially the people, you know what I find too, and you, you may agree or me, you may not, but the people that I interview that are kind of get interviewed a lot or they're bigger names, the bigger the name, sometimes the less really, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be rude to anybody I've interviewed, but sometimes you get less of, of the real them. You, you get more of an answer that they're used to giving and it's sort of not scripted, but you know, it's like how many times, how many different ways can they answer the same question? So their answers become refined a little bit. And when the more refined they get, I find that sometimes the less useful they can be. And if you get somebody on who's who's had a lot of success or is having a lot of success and you ask them a question, they're less polished. So they tend to give you more raw answers. They're not, not really thinking about them before they say them, which is great because it tends to be more real, right? Even if they say, well, you know, uh, short sales suck. I would never do those, right? A guy who's or a gal who's refined wouldn't probably say it like that. But you know, you get somebody else, so you get their real feelings about things, and sometimes it can be really refreshing to hear just an answer that wasn't rehearsed. You know, wasn't really scripted, or they haven't been asked it five thousand times, so they have never thought about it. So they pause, and then they give you a real raw answer, which is really cool. Yeah, rehearsed. I think is the key word there. Uh, you get yeah, get asked a question a thousand times. How could it not be rehearsed, right? Yeah, and what really happens, too, the the bigger the name, so to speak, uh, the more likely that they have a product that they're selling, right? So if they sell a product for whatever, $1,000 online, they're not going to give you the information in that product. So they're a little bit more guarded. They give more high-level answers. And I don't have I don't begrudge that at all. No, it's no. fine. I, I'm it's fine. old school, though. Yeah, it's it old, old school. school. And if yeah. people are selling something online or in person and it and there's value and it's valuable and it has it's it's worth what, you know, then I all for it. That's great. But but if they're doing that, how much of that product are they going to give away on a podcast for free when really they want people to come and buy it? So, I get it. I don't begrudge it. Um it is old school. It's a little different way. Yeah. And sometimes the local people or the people who don't get asked to speak a lot, they don't have that encumbrance, so they just answer questions. That's also why I try and keep this podcast conversational too, you know, although we all, we do sell shit on this podcast and we will always Good. sell shit on this podcast, um, but we just don't sell it like we traditionally sell it soft. It's more like the Joe Rogan sell. Right? Yeah. You know what? Buy it if you want, if you don't want to buy it, don't yeah. do it. It's God fine. bless you. Whatever. You, you yeah. should. You We're going to have the same conversation. Yep. 
regardless of what's being sold and what's not yep. being sold. So listen, podcasting isn't free, folks, for those of you who think it is. I mean, I'm looking at microphones that cost ten times what I spent because they're they're what you should use in the industry. They're they're good microphones and you know, there's equipment, there's bandwidth, all that. I mean, it's not free. And what you're getting, the information you're getting, by the way, on these interviews that Jeremy does. It's this. It's the exact same information that people are paying thousands and thousands of dollars online for. Trust me, there is. I've I've gotten those programs. I've bought those programs. I've been involved on the inside of those programs as a contributor. I'm telling you, there is nothing inside of any program, regardless of the cost, that you will not hear on this show from someone just giving it away for free. Yeah. So, you know, get, first of all, go. Pick up your smartphone and 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 give this a review. First of all, that's free. And uh, second of all, if you hear Jeremy talk about something in a soft sell way, don't get turned off. Don't fast forward. Don't ignore it. Just you know, play along here. It's 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 all for the greater good. Yeah, I appreciate it. And that will that will be something I develop slowly over time too. A lot less aggressive as well. I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to do it, but I don't know. It's I don't know how I'm going to do, do a do. lot of things. Yeah, so. you know. One of the things is, I don't know how you're going to do it or what your plan is, but everything is easier the more download you get. (laughs) Everything, right? Even if you're just promoting your own stuff, it's more effective. So downloads is the key, and and giving this show likes is is how he gets more downloads. And so it all kind of rolls in, and and it can all be you know, just free help, but it, it helps in the long run it makes a big difference so yeah i encourage it, it. I think too it's great. it would be yeah it would be awesome it. yep that all that all that stuff I, absolutely I'm not, I'm not joking or anything when i say you share it and i really do i really do appreciate it because right yeah. now i look at this first year or two as deposits yeah if i want to make withdrawals from this community i need to make some deposits <laughs> yeah in this community so yeah it might true. be a while before i really really sell something even like soft sell on i want to make sure that i've added so much value yeah that by the time I come to ask, nobody begrudges me my ask, you know? Yeah, yep. and it'll just get to a point where we, we're going to go ahead and kill these cats if somebody doesn't. Uh, you got 10 minutes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't think see. we forgot. The clock is ticking, folks. <laughs> these cats look see, real nervous. These three kittens, these poor little things. Yeah, they're so. not even cats. They're kittens, so. Well, I, if you haven't already, uh, we'll probably talk about the podcast a little bit more, but I just really like your podcast. I want to pick your brain on that. Obviously, I have a podcast and I have six reviews. So I had some questions I wanted to get through first. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure you understand. No, that's cool. No, you know what? I tell people all the time my podcast is really me asking questions that I want to know. Um, yes, you that's know, all it is. It's yeah. sneaky, isn't it? It's sneaky. It is for sure. I've I've definitely it's networking too. Yeah, exactly. Like nobody's sending me questions that they want to know. So when people get on the microphone with me, I'm just I'm curious about things. So I just I start digging in for myself. But hopefully, people enjoy it. Well, we're gonna get to your latest venture with Mike Squared. Uh, we buy ROI.com. Go there, sign up, get on his list, get his deals. Um, but before you were in wholesaling. You started a buy, fix, and flip business, and you started it what was supposedly, I always say supposedly, because my best year still was ever, 2008. So supposedly yeah. the worst time ever yeah, it, to do real estate. What made you start investing in real estate in 2008? All right. Here's where you'll get the real honest answer, right? So I actually got the real estate investing bug in 2002, probably. Um I, you know, I was, I always tell the story. I don't always give the chronological timeline exactly. I compress it a little bit for time, but we have a lot of, a lot of time here. Um, 
so I got the bug. The reason was, and the, and the reason that I've always given and the reason I talk about my podcast is 100% true, I just compressed the timing. So what happened was I was um, in my early 30s, and I, I was making X amount. And I say X amount because it's not impressive. So I was making X amount. <laughs> and I, I sort of did the math. I'm not a math genius, but I sort of fast-forwarded and said, how long until I'll be able to retire? How much money will I have? How much money will I need? And it was a joke, right? Yeah, I was going to have to work until I was 150 to try to retire with any kind of money. So I didn't like that idea. So I thought, what can I do to make money on the side? Or what can I do to inc- to accelerate my ability to retire? And I thought, Stocks, the stock market, right? It makes sense. Back then, day trading was a buzzword. So I would get on Google and I would start Googling stock, you know, how to invest in stocks and how to use the stock market and day trading and blah, blah, blah. And I would start reading and trying to figure it out. And I was insanely bored by the entire process. I hated it. And I would always end up on like ESPN.com and, and like, <laughs> you know, middle of the night, I was like, what am I doing here? So I really hated it. I tried, but I'm just not into learning about stocks and how to how to trade stocks. So if you Google investing, though, and you scroll down far enough, you'll get to real estate investing. Eventually, you'll find real estate investing. And I found real estate investing success stories. And I was just like hooked. It was like I was, you know, I was like at night, I was doing this when everybody's sleeping. I'm reading about these and, and trying to learn. And it was literally like someone, you know, like, you know, like someone sneaking drugs and doing drugs at night, not telling their family, like, I, I was so hooked on it. What are you and doing? Surfing it, porn? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm you, not reading about real yeah, estate. Exactly. You lie about it. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorting coke. I'm not doing anything. Any. I'm not reading about real estate. Um. So it, you know, it was, I, I loved it. I was super interested in it. Kind of got the bug. I went to a couple of local things, and I was kind of like trying to get myself to to really take a plunge and take a step. And I I went through a divorce. <clears throat> and it kind of changed things for me for a few years, and it, it derailed me obviously quite a bit. Got divorced, um, kind of put everything on hold, just sort of batting down the hatches a little bit, trying to do some things I needed to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, dude, that sucks. Um, anyway, so then you fast forward, you know, five or six years, two thousand and eight. Things had kind of gotten back on track, and I was okay, and things were going great. So got into it. Um, what I did was I was remarried at the time. I am remarried, so I was remarried then. I'm still remarried, but at that point, I had gotten remarried. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Second divorce? No, kidding. Um, And and my wife is is very smart, uh, master's degree. She's intelligent, great, but she's very risk averse. She's scared of spending or risking money. So I had to start slowly introducing the concept. Hey, this is something I am interested in. You know, like here, simmer on this for a few weeks. And then, anyways, so fast forward, there was a local guy here uh, in Michigan named uh, Mark Islaw, who I joined his mastermind. Uh, we, we basically, we went to a weekend boot camp and spent a few thousand dollars on that. Um, it was a great boot camp. I look back at it and, and my answer or, or my standard response when people ask me, was it worth it? The material, it the material yeah. that I got, no. The experience and the confidence and the networking opportunities that came from it, 10, 10, 20 times worth that easily, right? It, it is the reason why I'm sitting here. It's the reason why I've ever made a dime in real estate. If it were not for him, I don't know that I would have. So I credit him with everything. But if you look at the materials that were passed out that weekend and you go through it, you, eh, I don't know. It's nothing so great, but whatever. It was the spring, the springboard. So 
the, the great news about talking about my wife, if if we're going to spend a few thousand dollars on a boot camp, there's no way on God's green earth she's going to let me sit on that information and do nothing. Yeah, you've made it, an investment. We, we will not waste that money. Yeah. So from that point, she was definitely on board and definitely motivated me to get out there and do it. <clears throat> it was 2008. Things were crashing. I don't think they hit the bottom yet, but they were crashing. And uh, it was actually the end of 2007. I say I started in 2008 because that's when I bought my first house. And I always tell people, you're not a real estate investor until you you get a property under contract and you close on it, right? Then you're an investor. So late 2007, I got a property under contract and we were getting ready to close. And the bank, the little tiny nothing bank that was going to finance it for me because I didn't have the money and I didn't have any investors, went out of business. Oh, Like, a week before closing and we had put down our thousand dollar, you know, earnest money or whatever. And yeah, your wife's in like, what are we going to do now? Yeah. So long story short there, we couldn't find any way to recover. We lost the deal. We lost our earnest money. Um, that so happens, man. yeah, so it was like another thousand dollars. Now, thousand dollars is, is a ton of money to me now. It was even more back then, right? It was a ton of money. So uh, we had lost another thousand dollars, and I had to try to convince my wife, who was starting to not be so sure about all this, that we needed to find another house and put another thousand dollars down. And it wasn't a popular thing, but I found. And now that house that I had under contract, um, you know, the bright side of it is the silver lining is. And six months later, when I did get my first property under contract and closed, the property that we bought was one street over. We were going to buy it for seventy thousand dollars in late '07. In mid-08, when we bought the house one street over, we got it for $40,000. So we you probably would have got $29,000. Yeah, we would have yeah. gotten our butts kicked big time. So, um, yeah, so we bought that house. We put our, our personal money in. We used credit cards and cash in the bank and kind of pushed all of our chips in the middle of the table, literally, and got a mortgage for the actual amount of the of the property, the purchase price. And we did the renovation. Things went wrong. We made mistakes. We learned from them. But at the end of the day, we made about $15,000. And again, $1,000 had had a maybe a little bit higher value for me back then. $15,000 was like, I think we just hit the lottery. Like something big just happened. And from that point, my wife was a convert. It was like, go find another one. What are you doing? Well, you know, <laughs> the TV will, will be here when you get home. Clock's ticking, yeah, exactly. honey. Yeah. yeah you, you don't need to sleep. Don't a come home hours. without a deal. Exactly. Yeah. You can come home, but only with the contract. So, bed's cold. <clears throat> yeah. So, it Dinner's went cold. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There's a microwave. You can heat up the food. So uh, it, it went really well. The first one went really well. We, we made mistakes. We had a contractor burn us. We had a, a, an electrician that didn't get paid by the general. Call a general. Is that, I hope everyone's sitting down. If you're driving, pull over because it's going to shock you. Yeah. The general contractor never didn't return my calls once no I found way. out. Yeah, it's, it's never shocking. Happens. Never happens. First time it's ever happened. Last time it's ever happened in the world. So we tr- couldn't get a hold of him. We called the, le- the electrician. We're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like we, I have a bill that shows paid and, and, and it has electric on it. And they're like, yeah, that's his bill to you. Our bill to him never got paid. And, and literally the, the electric, uh, the, the, um, the, the company had to educate me on what they were even talking about. Like, I don't get it. I paid, I have a check and it was for the electric work. And they're like, we understand that, sir, but we didn't get that check. So, then I, I went into negotiation mode and said, okay, listen, I, I owe you $1,000. That's what you didn't get paid. I did pay it, but obviously you didn't get it. 
and negotiated that number down to $600. So I saved, you know, 400 off of what I would have to pay, paid them and then realized what a re- learned what a release of lien yeah. is and and that became a big thing for me and I started having contractors sign contracts and you know, I became a little bit more professional about how I approached the contractor relationship and uh, you know, it's like a contractor relationship is like every bad girlfriend you've ever had. It's like it's an it abusive seems, relationship. It seems great in the beginning and everyone's happy and it's like it can go bad really fast and you can't you don't know why. You're just sitting there one day and you're broke up and you don't know why. So uh we've had to fire a lot of contractors and it's you know it's an up and down thing and I've never seen a group of people that love shooting themselves in the foot more than a, a contractor. Now I know there's probably contractors listening. Man, fuck them all. There's all right, fuck them all. Yeah. No, there's great contractors, but, there are. but there's a lot of, there's more bad ones. It's just like they make a bad name for the industry. There's so many bad ones. If you find it, that's why when you find a good one and you put out something on Facebook, like if somebody writes something, hey, looking for a great contractor, there's not a hundred replies with people giving up their contractors because most people, when they find a good one, they get stingy about it a little bit. So. Well, I used to, to share them, and then my good ones would go bad. That was before I realized that it's kind of like oh, they could be good for six months to a year. Yeah, that's the and then get thing. back on the pipe or something and start stealing again. Yeah, yeah. I don't miss rehabbing. I'll tell you that. You know, I don't you make bigger checks, man. You <laughs> I do make I, yeah. big checks. I yeah, like that part. you do make good checks. I, I don't miss it either. I, I went through the whole thing, and we we flipped for six, seven years. And went through a lot of contractors and realtors, and and it was great, and I learned a lot, and it's helping me now. But um, we got to, I got to a point before Mike and I got together as a team. I got to a point where, and I'm kind of fast forwarding, maybe faster than you want to, but you can That's okay. bring me back if you want. But uh, I got to a point where um, I, I was running out of, like, I couldn't find deals. Right around, oh, you know, 2013, 2014, the deals started drying up pretty bad. Prior to that, it was like shooting fish in a barrel. It was pretty easy. Um, around 13, 14, I, it started getting difficult. And at that point, I had a lot of contacts in the industry, a lot of other house flippers that I was friendly with and knew. And we would meet at you know, local meetups or whatever. And every time we got together or I got together with this group of people, it was the exact same complaint. I can't find deals. Like I'm literally dying on the vine here. I cannot find good deals. And everybody had the exact same complaint, including me. And I would leave these events. And eventually I did leave one of these events. And I said, what in the hell am I doing? I'm like, we're all fishing in the exact same dried up pond. And there are no fish. And we just keep our poles in there. Like, how stupid is that? That we're just going to keep doing the same stupid thing we're doing now? So I said, I've got to get out of this rut. I've got to do something they're not doing and do it maybe a little better than than I than other people. So I I realized another logical approach was direct marketing. I had never done it before. Got a hold of a couple people local here, Steve being one of them, um, uh, Lundahl, and just basically said, how do you do it? Like, I don't even know where to start. Like, tell me the basics. And a few couple people helped me with the basics. They were very generous with their time, like I said, uh, about how I try to be. And I just sort of did it. And I didn't know how much to spend. And I didn't know, I didn't have a, a ton of, I didn't have a budget for it because it wasn't in my in my business at the, at that point. So I threw out like 800 bucks one month, $200 a week, didn't know what to expect from it and did that for a few months. And luckily I got a, I got a deal. And so I got this deal and I I flipped it. It went great. And I started doing more marketing because it was like found money for me. It wasn't part of my business, really. Wholesaling wasn't my business. So when I made money from it, I could just reinvest it into the marketing, which helped me looking back. It really helped me shoot 
up faster in terms of volume. So I started getting more and more properties and I, I couldn't, I couldn't handle the flow that was coming in. I didn't have the resources or the crews that were available. So I called up a local investor uh, who I knew, who I was friends with, and I knew they were legitimate real deal investors and flippers and said, I've got this deal. Um, I think the numbers were, I got it for 90 under contract. And I called them and said, would you buy this property for $105,000? And they looked at it for a very short period of time, looked at the pictures and said, absolutely. That's a great deal. We would take that every day, all day long. And I said, really? Okay, awesome. And then I just sort of like scrambled to figure out how to assign it. And I assigned it and I made $15,000 and I didn't do a damn thing. I didn't and a wholesaler was born. And, a, and I'll tell you what. Was there music? It, it, it was, yeah. <laughs> now that I look back, I, I think I was visited by an angel. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, so they bring cash only exactly a cash (laughs) angel. So then I was getting these deals and I, and at the same time, my contractor kind of flaked out. I mean, like, like we just talked about and my, my realtor really screwed up on a deal and I got burned on it because I was relying on him at that point. I was still relying on my realtor to give me ARV, a, a real, a real after repair value that I could count on. And he totally botched it. I lost money and I'm like, okay, I've had enough of this shit. I've been dealing with this guy for years. He still really doesn't get it. He's good enough when when the when things were great and there were tons of deals, but he just wasn't cutting it anymore. So I have a contractor I've got to let go and I've got a realtor I've got to move on from. I have a choice. I can build my team again and continue flipping or I can just say, screw that, completely pivot, go in a different direction and just wholesale everything. And that's exactly what I did. Based on the few wholesale deals that I was doing at the time, I'm like... You know, you can't control everything in any industry, but I cut out some real significant problem areas for me, contractors and and realtors. And I cut down on the number of people that could screw me over in my business and uh, never look back. That was that was sort of my model. Now, the business has grown with Mike and I to the point that we're starting to sort of like Mike is really enthusiastic, I think, about about flipping a house here and there, you know, kind of selectively. Because he's never done it, and I'm a little more reluctant, so it's probably a good checks and balances. He's like, "Hey, we could flip this one, make more money." I'm like, "Yeah, but you start opening up walls, you start dealing with contractors, you start dealing with end buyers. You know, you hold the money longer, the market can change." Like I start, I throw out all the reasons why we shouldn't do it, and if he can come up with more reasons why we should, then I can come up why we shouldn't. Then, then we'll do it. So we're selectively flipping a few houses here and there, but. Uh, I always fight it tooth and nail, and uh, I try to wholesale everything. So, well, yeah, that's you could definitely tell you've rehabbed a fair number of houses because everybody who's rehabbed a fair number of houses are very aware of everything that could go wrong. Oh, there's like so many things, and, and a lot of it I can mitigate because I've done it, and I can like I know it could come up, so I can kind of head it off at the pass. But man, if you think if if anybody out there ever thinks they're good enough to to really like avoid all the pitfalls you're you're kidding yourself you've not done enough flips if you think that's the case because houses will surprise you no matter how long you've been doing this so you can systemize to a point but there's always going to be variables that you can't control and you know wholesaling to me gives me the maximum control of my decks my destiny than i can possibly imagine and house flipping introduces a lot of new variables that you can't control that can derail you. There is a bigger payday a lot of times at the end of the day. Um, but you know what? Not always. The way, the way we run our business and the way that we price and market and the way we buy houses, um, to be perfectly honest with you, when I was flipping houses from 08 through 2014, basically 15, 
Um, there were houses that I made less than I'm making now on wholesaling. So uh, by and large, maybe at the end of the day, it's a little bit less, but you make up for in volume for sure. Well, yeah. And stress. Oh my God. The, the, the stress, there was a period of somewhere, somewhere in 2009. I don't know where the fuck that went somewhere in 2009. I didn't get hardly any sleep. I remember the few hours of sleep I did get, I'd wake up and I was grinding my teeth in my sleep. It, it, the best I've said it before on the podcast and the best way I could describe it was like wrestling a wolf and you knew the second you let go of that motherfucker, it was going to tear you up. Yeah. I was in some ways I was relieved when it all came, when it all stopped. I was like, Oh, I don't have to. And then guess what? The two general contractors done the way out. Been with me for years. Fucked me on the way out. Yeah. My opinion of general contractors yeah. is pretty low in general. If you're good, if you're a good one out there, I apologize. You get lumped. There in. are good ones out there, but I man, know they're they're hard. they're hard to find. Man, they're like unicorns. You know, if you find one, <laughs> that's why people are hard. You to, better tether them. Yeah, put a tether, tether, on tether them, them and act like you're the only person that'll employ them. Keep their self esteem low so they won't go anywhere else. <laughs> Exactly. Don't ever tell them they're good. Yeah, you suck. I don't to get work. I I want to fire you so bad. I just can't. (laughs) Don't have time to look for somebody else. It's like a reverse psychology. Yeah, exactly. Do it totally. I'm with you. I mean, I'm luckily I'm blessed with a very, very, very high risk tolerance and a very, very, very high tolerance to stress. I can I can compartmentalize and I can. I guess what I do is probably super unhealthy. I just push it down, but I can deal with stress. I, I don't. I'm not afraid of, of of high pressure situations. So that's a that's the good news. Um, but I hate what I hate is things that are out completely outside of my control that can screw me up. Yeah, I, I I really I am a control freak a little bit, and and I'm super impatient. So those don't go well with house flipping because there are things that are far outside of your control that so happen many and things. and it so drives many. me and it drives me nuts. And I actually took a, a quick detour in my in my real estate business um about 3 years ago, 3 or 4 years ago, I don't remember exactly now. And I got into a kind of an ancillary business that I had no control over. I didn't know the business, I didn't have any experience in the business, and it wasn't my function in the business to control the financial success or failure. I had a component of the business that had to do with real estate and finding properties and fixing them up, but the core business was not something I understood. And it went like I've never had more of a colossal failure in my entire life. What was the business? Oh, I'm trying to be vague because I know we're local. Um, well, you don't have to say. I don't no, no, no. It was a. Uh, it was. Uh, I'll tell everybody. It's fine because the people who who know me that are listening right now are laughing their ass off at me because <laughs> they know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like when you fall the, off the, the gentleman fall down that I, the stairs, yeah, they laugh at you. Yeah. I know the gentleman that I was sort of in business with. I, I I don't hate him. He's not a bad guy. It just it was a failed attempt. Um, but it was um. Adult foster care, senior care facilities. Yeah. So my end of that was the real estate side, right? Find, renovate, maintain, all that kind of stuff. But I am not a person who understands or has any knowledge or experience in the healthcare side of it. And that's really getting residents into these facilities is really how you make money. And I had no way of affecting that. So as it was sliding off the cliff, I was powerless to do anything about it. All I could do was watch my money die, right? So when that was over, I told my wife, first of all, she said, okay, are we all set now with, with businesses? Can we just take five for a minute here and just not have a stressful, you know, a month for once? So no, yeah, exactly. No. So it wasn't really so much a request as it was like uh, putting the foot down. So I, and I was fine with that because that was a lot of stress for me. And, and I sort of took six months off and that was right before I started my podcast actually. 
and then got back into it and said, listen, I'm going to, and I went back to flipping, but I said, I'm going to do what I know. I'm going to do what I'm good at. And I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that if it fails, it fails because I screwed it up, not because somebody else didn't do something that made us fail and I couldn't affect it. So I pretty much said right then and there, I'll never do anything else in business ever as long as I live that I don't have, I'm not at the steering wheel. You know, so that was part of it. Why I told you prior to even getting on the air here, if you had asked me a year ago, would I ever partner with somebody? I would have said, there's not a chance in hell. I've yeah. made the proclamation. I'm not going to do it. Now, the the partnership that Mike and I have, I'm not, quote, at the steering wheel. We both are. But I still feel like we're so in lockstep with the way we look at things. It's not as if I'm having to compromise what I want to do. All I'm doing is getting reinforced with what I want to do and then him with what he wants to do because we have the exact same vision. So it works out very well for us. Probably a little bit of luck combined with a little bit of us being good judges of people that we should be working with. Um, it, it could have probably went went poorly, I suppose, but I have, I'm a good judge of character, I think, and a good judge of people, and I think Mike is too, and, and it worked out that we are in step with each other. But if we weren't, it would be very hard for me to compromise what I want to do because I won't. I just won't watch something else fail that I think I could control and fix. Right. So I don't know. I'm just like, I, mean, I don't feel like I'm in stuff. therapy a little bit. I know. Hey, tell me all your problems, Mike. Exactly. This is how I feel, Jeremy. Well, I want to I, I want to take a running jump at that because I'm really <clears throat> interested in the partner thing because mm-hmm. I swear to God, I, same as you like never, never again. I, I no thanks. I'd rather be eaten alive by well. I tell you what, I was the same way. But I do want to wrap up the other one. You you kind of made a good point without actually stating the point that all the rehabbing and flipping made you a much better wholesaler. Yeah, I, yeah, I could it's talk about that for the challenge. rest of the time we're yeah, here if you want. Yeah. But I mean, let's, that let's is... go over that because <clears throat> you didn't say it as many words, but. It, you un- you understand how flippers think. Yeah. You understand what flippers are looking for. Yeah. You understand all the problems <laughs> flippers have. You know what the costs are going to be for rehab. You know the stresses with the rehab, all that. Um, obviously, you can wholesale, and people have wholesaled without doing much yeah. rehab or flipping. But I think I think you're right. That did give you a lot of you know, like a, just a little little extra edge. Little extra edge in the wholesale market, having done yeah. all that before, you knew. So I, I really do believe that a hundred percent. I I take well, I, I don't want to get on a soapbox here because I could get really angry about it. But Good. I take we like angry. <laughs> I take huge offense. <laughs> I disagree with the common logic or the common saying that you get into wholesaling, build up a little bit of cash, and then start flipping or buying and holding as if. As if wholesaling is is like a stepping stone, and it's not a legitimately one of the ways of of investing successfully. Um, I see it as there's three major pillars in investing: there's flipping, there's buy and hold, and there's wholesaling. And I don't view any one of them as less than the other. But what I really get aggravated by is people who say, "Oh yeah, you just, if you don't know anything, I'll just start wholesaling, build up some money, and then start really doing your investing." You can always tell who hasn't wholesaled <clears throat> if they say some shit like that. Well, right? here's the thing: that's poop falling out of their mouth. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of like analogies and and like sayings, but basically, you know, when it comes to wholesaling, if you're new and you don't know anything, you don't have any money, and you don't have any any connections, and you've never flipped, you never bought and hold a house, a blind squirrel can find a nut. Once in a while, right? So if you want wholesaling to be random, completely unpredictable, you never know when or how you're ever going to find a deal, but you're just hoping to get one or two a year, then yeah, wholesaling is for you. It's 
fine. But if you want to start a business that has some level of predictability, something that is sustainable, something that you can count on month after month generating X amount of dollars based on X amount of effort, then wholesaling is great. Um, But you can't be an effective wholesaler, in my opinion, unless you take the time to learn how much renovation costs or at least be really good at estimating. Um, you know, if you send an email out with a house that you have available, I, I look at all my marketing, all the marketing we do goes through me first. And I look at it with my house flipping hat on and go, if I were a house flipper, would this appeal to me? Would this make sense? Do the numbers even work? I've gotten mail from wholesalers where I've used their math. I've just, for, for the sake of argument, I've said, assume that all their numbers are right. And I've plugged them in, and I would have lost money using the math they're advertising if I would have invested in that property. So Yeah, I'm guessing math isn't most people's strong suit. Yeah. yeah. So it's like I, I, it, they, the deals have to make sense, right? So I, I do know, and, I, and the thing that I benefited from early on is I already had a Rolodex of house flippers for sure and some landlords that knew me, trusted me, respected me. They knew I knew my numbers and I could send them deals and yeah, they want to do their own due diligence, but they they took everything I said for what it was worth. Hey, this guy's done it. He knows. And then I would get that feedback afterward and they'd go, you know what? Your numbers were dead on. You were exactly right. That's what I, we came up with ARV. That was what our renovation budget, what we came up with. You're absolutely right. You only have to do that a few times before people will give you give your numbers a lot more credibility when they see them. So that helped me quite quite a bit in the beginning. I think my... my um, the, the hurdle of, of gaining trust and finding buyers was accelerated by the fact that I already had a Rolodex of people that were dying for deals. But the fact that I understand that side of it, very, very important. I honestly think that wholesaling is the hardest of the three, to be perfectly honest, because if I'm going to be a landlord, all I really need to do is find out what it will take to, to do a light reno, right? Depending on the type of landlord you are, maybe you're doing nothing, maybe you're doing a lot. Um, you need to find out what the rents are. That's easy enough. That that, that information is publicly available for the most part. And you need to maybe know what your return on investment is. Some people don't even care, but okay, you need to know your return on investment. And there are very simple formulas for that, super rule, easy rules of thumb you can use. And that's really all you need to know. Put you put the ads on Craigslist. I mean, you can sort of get by with that information. House flippers is a little bit steeper learning curve, but you don't have to know what landlords want if you're a house flipper and you don't need to necessarily know how to direct market and handle incoming calls and talk to homeowners because for the most part when most house flippers up to this point they're doing a lot of stuff in the mls some of them are direct marketing but you're getting them from wholesalers or you're getting them from the mls so you just really need to know your discipline a wholesaler if you don't understand how landlords think and what's important in their world and you don't know what house flippers think and what's important in their world you're going to fail or short you're going to be very short career. Yeah, a very short career or you're just going to be kind of crappy at it. You know, you're going to sort of get lucky once in a while. But, you know, if you have the kind of lifestyle and you have a trust fund and really all you need to do is make a few thousand dollars every couple of months, go for it. It's easy. But if you're like the rest of the world and you have a mortgage and kids and family and you want to buy a you know car to drive and things like that and you want a sustainable business and you think you're going to do it without understanding how flippers think and how they crunch their numbers and how landlords think and crunch their numbers... Good luck. That's all I have to say. Good luck. 
Yeah, real estate is really no different than any other business. You need to understand your customers. Yep. If, if you don't understand what your customers want. Right. So wholesalers need to understand to what they do and what everyone else does, I guess is my point. Flippers need to understand what they do. Landlords need to understand what just what they do, you know. So I, I really take exception to it. And I there's a lot more that drives me freaking crazy about <laughs> the perception of wholesalers. Because you know, the other thing too is is I think wholesalers sometimes have this there's this feeling out there um that a wholesaler is only entitled to a certain amount of money for each deal. Right. Yeah, there's you'll a never limit get a call to that. again from me if you do that. Um, I don't count your money. You better not start counting. You know, money, and you it's know? like, and I've and I've literally gotten this feedback from people um, who say, you know, you're whatever. So insert the negative comment because why do you think you should make ten thousand dollars on on, the, on a wholesale deal? And all I say to them is, listen, if if I pay a hundred thousand dollars for a house or get under contract for a hundred thousand, and I and I sign it to you for a hundred and five. And that number works for you. You're fine. You're happy with me. Everybody's happy. But if I got that same house for fifty thousand dollars through negotiation, luck, whatever, and and I offer it to you for one hundred five, and you're happy with that number, and it works for your business, and, you, and everything's great, until you find out what I got it for, then screw you. Go to hell. Because I don't ask you what your renovation is going to be and how much money you're going to make at the end of the day. And by the way, if the market changes or something changes and you can make an extra 10 or 15 grand, do you make that money or do you tell the homeowner, the buyer, listen, I know you'll, I know you'll pay 150, but I'm only going to ask you to pay 135 because that's all I planned on making to begin with. No, hell no. You're going to take advantage of whatever market conditions or if your renovation budget comes in extremely low, which never happens. But if it did and you were going to make more money, do you pass that along to your buyer or do you take that profit? Of course you take it. Everyone's in business to make money. So for someone to look at my business and and put basically a governor on it or a cap and say, it's great. But if you make more than five thousand dollars, you're you're unethical. Uh, I have all kinds of nasty things to say to that person. Have they actually said unethical yes. to you? Um, all right, I might be paraphrasing unethical, but the the accusation was that I was gouging people, oh, or that I was you're stealing. That I was taking advantage. I was of them. overcharging for deals. Now. By the way, nobody's ever bought a deal from me at gunpoint, right? So everyone who's yeah. ever bought anything from me was happy with the price that they paid. Not all of them know what I pay. Some of them do. But I, I don't understand, like you said, don't don't look into my business any deeper than I'm looking into yours. If we come to a price, honestly, I've had people come back where I screwed up the ARV and it was a lot more than what I thought it was. And they made a lot more than I thought they were going to make. I'm, I'm I'm legitimately happy for them. I think that's great, and I hope they keep coming back to me. Um, and and honestly, had I known what it was, I probably would have charged them more. Shit, yeah, you would have. Because my job and and my my responsibility to my business partner and to my family is to make the most of my business financially, ethically, and morally. I've never lied to anybody. I've never scammed anybody. Um, but if I know a house flipper will pay a hundred thousand dollars for a house because they're going to sell it for one sixty and it needs twenty in renovation and they they think those numbers are great, if I paid a hundred for it, they should not care what I or if I sell it to them for a hundred, I'm sorry, they should not care what I paid for it. It shouldn't matter. Does the number work? Yes or no. It doesn't work. Yes, unless I'm making a lot of money 
it works or it doesn't work. And for someone to suggest that, because first of all, the problem comes in with this whole cap or, hey, you know, there's a limit on what a wholesaler should make. You don't know what it takes. You don't know what I spend to make that money. And you don't know the effort and the infrastructure and the back end work that it takes to actually get to the point of presenting you that contract. It wasn't like someone called me while I was watching TV and said, here's a contract to buy my house. Um, here you go. And it took no work. Mike and I spend a toe-curling amount of money on marketing. We have employees. Um, we have overhead, and we have an infrastructure that is is not cheap. And it's, we're fine with that. We do it on. We do it. Cal- it's a calculated thing, right? We're spending a lot of money because we plan on making a lot of money. Um, so for someone to act like we're just sitting at home and this is a hobby for us is insulting, first of all. And and it's the reason why Mike and I are on a mission to build our buyers list and not with foo-foo names and people who never will buy, but to build a legitimately strong buyers list that reaches outside of Michigan as well. Because if anybody in our local market uh, thinks that they have some control or say over what we should be making on a deal, we don't want to deal with them anymore. We'd rather just go to somebody else, find somebody else because that might be we buy ROI.com. We buy ROI.com. Go there. Don't forget the plug. And I'll get on our buyers list. Put Listen, all your information in. Especially if you're listening outside of Michigan. People in Michigan are, are kind of spoiled. Fuck yeah. Can Wait, I rant for a second? Go for it. I moved here in 2007. You guys do not realize the gold mine you are sitting on. This state is fucking gorgeous. The weather is awesome most of the time. You're in the Detroit-Chicago corridor, which is only going to go up forever. At some point in the next 100 years, there's not even going to be fucking forest or wilderness or anything between Chicago and Detroit. The car capital of the world, uh, plans for one of the largest airports in the world, rail, a seaport, cruise ships, you whiny ass motherfuckers talking about your shitty real estate. I, these are people who are acting like the internet doesn't exist and they're going to live and die in the same 50 miles they grew up in. So go fuck yourself. There's lots of opportunity here. That's why I moved here. Move to the coast. Think it's better somewhere else? Pack your sorry ass up. Move to California. Move to New York. Do something like that. We're a thousand square foot house in Seattle. It's $1.2 million. Why? Because I can see the fucking water and the mountain at the same time. Yep. Go do, go do it there. Yeah. Where you want to talk about doing 30% deals or 35% deals, which they do all day long here. Yep. You couldn't do a 20% deal in Seattle if you wanted to. People are doing deals on 15%. So do whatever you want, people. But just realize, shut your whore mouth. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> shut your whore <laughs> mouth. You are literally sitting on a gold mine, and you're bitching that you have to get a shovel to get it. That's what you sound like. Yeah, that's exactly what you sound like. Sorry. We are very no, we're very spoiled here, and I think people outside of the state, you know, that I talk to, especially people that I've interviewed, they can't. They think I'm kidding when I, I tell them the kind of returns that we get here and the kind of deals that we have, and. You know they're just blown away. So you know we're we're always looking to increase that list and and deal with people 
who appreciate what they can get here. And then certainly, like I said, going back to the, the people who, you know, think that they have some sort of idea of what a wholesaler is allowed to make per deal. They're super unsophisticated business people. And, it, and they'll, they'll, they, that drives me crazy too. You know, first of all, it's like, just get, you know, get out of my pocket and I'll stay out of yours. But second of all, you just sound like an idiot, you know, telling an industry or telling a certain segment of your industry this is what you're allowed to make, and this is what I can make. It's like, who the hell are you? And yeah, who no, appointed just, you, Carl? We're just not going to do business together. Yeah, That's exactly. <laughs> you just go home, be upset, exactly. beat your wife or your dog or whatever else you're going to do that day. You yeah, know? exactly. It's it's infuriating. It's frustrating. And like I said, if you know, I, I don't get it. But you know, if people spent a week with Mike and I and saw what goes on in our business, no, they, they would wouldn't. be surprised. I think it's they it's, would. They, first of all, they're not going to do it, Mike. No, I. I, I won't let them, first of all. I love them. this. I let you go on, but don't, except for the podcast, don't explain yourself yeah. to fucking anybody. Yeah, we move on. That's the thing that gets me frustrated. Yeah. People who are idiots. You know, idiots frustrate me, and I spend, that's where I spend too much time, right? If I have a deal where there's $100,000 on the line that I'm going to lose or lose money or whatever, I can sleep like a baby. If someone says something stupid to me, like, hey, you shouldn't make more than X amount on any wholesale deal, no matter what, and you're, you're, you know, you're screwing people, that kind of shit drives me nuts for longer than it should because I, I, I do get frustrated by idiots. But anyways, losers count other people's money. So remember that if you yeah. start looking. Also, by the way, if you do that to anybody, that is probably the very last transaction you'll do. Because this happens too, right? They don't say it, but then two days before closing, what do they do? Have you had this happen? Yeah. 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 I know what you mean. Oh, yeah. They, oh, it's just business, which, by the way, um, Jeff Rabinowitz posted a great blog post. It's an older one about just business. I'll try and put it in the show notes. You should definitely go check it out. But, yeah, it's just business. Don't count other people's money, folks. That's the uh, Yep. That's the important thing there, unless I get to stick around for half of your rehab. How much of your rehab profit do I get if I take a discount? Yeah, totally. Mr. Yeah, we're not, we're not partnering on the rehab. And like I say, I, I know how it goes. Things can yeah. go. They're taking a lot of risk. I get that. But I, I don't care what happens post the transaction where you buy the house, and you shouldn't care what happens pre the transaction when yeah, I buy the house. Absolutely. It just doesn't matter. Does the number work or not? You know, plug it in. Are, are you a baby? You, you don't know if that number works unless you know what I paid. Like, that's the stupidest logic I ever heard of. So plug the number in. If you can't figure it out, just tell me no thank you. If, if it is a good number, then don't worry about anything prior to that. It doesn't matter. You know, this doesn't matter. I do want to make a distinction. Because I do work with some people that are tough negotiators, and I do not begrudge anybody trying to get a good deal. What they don't do, though, is first of all, they don't know the number up front. The negotiation happens yeah. oh, before. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. They don't accuse me of stealing or of gouging or anything else like that. So I do want to make the distinction because people are like, well, do you know? No, we're talking about people who sign agreements, agree to do something. And then are fine with everything. Then they find out the number and then they want to renegotiate. Yeah. There's a big difference between the two. I admire tough negotiators. I yeah, think I do everybody too. should get the best deal they absolutely can. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But that's not the same thing you're talking about. No. I did want to make the distinction because he's butt hurt, ADIQ, mouth breathing <laughs> fuckers. See, you're going to hear about it, not me. So that's, that's fine. <laughs> so we're actually talking about everybody. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's totally true. I, I admire good negotiators, and I think we're in a good negotiators. And if somebody negotiates us down, that's fine. I, I don't look at the money that I think I should have got 
Mike and I just w- whatever we ended up agreeing to, we just move on. And yeah, when we hear better, right? that someone negotiated hard and then made way more money than we thought they were going to make, there is li- literally there is there is zero yeah. animosity like at all. Like, that's somebody great. we need to learn from, right? Yeah, it's great. I think that's that's awesome. So, anyways, I don't know, we're, I'm dude, I love that. Lot, right? That was yeah, awesome. I just I don't explain people. yourself oh, to those fuckers, man. Drive me crazy. I yeah uh, I. We did it for the podcast because it's good radio, but yeah, yeah they, and these people do like two, three deals a year. Yeah, that's the for other the thing. Part, Usually, yeah. the people with these attitudes are the ones that really aren't doing that great. Yeah, you know, on their and gee whiz, own, so. it's hard to figure out why when you go around telling, calling everybody a thief or unethical or you're stealing. Yeah, I don't know why more people won't do business with me. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a real shocker right there. Yep. So I want to take a running leap now. Um, that was a great rant, by the way. Let's fucking go down to history. <laughs> well, you should I told have heard to it. shut their whore mouth. I'm not editing that up either. Exactly. You yeah, you it. should have heard the rant when when it, when these things first came into my life and the way I ranted. Boy, it was. I want talk a mic on Mike Square. What's oh, somebody's man. doing this? To put this out, it'd be radio oh, gold gosh. right there. Just let them have it. If you heard Mike and I's conversation every once in a while when something goes sideways that it shouldn't go sideways, or somebody has something really stupid that screws things up, oh, those rants would be epic. But yeah, yeah. I bet it's salty. Oh, it's. <laughs> Yeah, we both. Yeah, we both need our mouth washed Two out. Salesmen, with soap. Exactly. Yeah, gonna need some scope. Yeah, uh, but let's take a running leap at this because I, like you, I have had. <clears throat> I don't know why I went out and got partners in the beginning, but I did, and I did a couple bad ones in a row. And some point, maybe on your podcast at some point, I don't know. I may do a tell all some sometime, like a real tell all. I still have statue limitations, shit like that. Yeah, it's not serious. One of them's in jail, by the way. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah, it's a good story uh, when the time comes. But Bernie Madoff, like you, you're like no fucking partners ever. Yeah. If I can't control the outcome, and I understand too, when you're talking about adult care living, there are so many things out of your control. Yeah, yeah, government. You have insurance. You have yeah. family. It's just it's a nightmare. It's it's one of the reasons why I never got into it. But obviously, something changed your mind. So, let's, yeah, because yeah, you kind of glossed over it. But let's, how did you go from never, not going to do it, to you did it? Yeah. That's a big step. It's a big step. It's a big, never to doing it is. It, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it took a, well, all right. So, what happened was, I, I was doing my thing. I, I it was sort of like right, right after I'd made the decision. Maybe, maybe five months after I had four or five months after I had made the decision to actually pivot and go from I'm a house flipper to all right. I'm gonna whole. I'm a wholesaler now. I'm doing this. Um, I had probably at that point, I don't know, ten, fifteen wholesale deals under my belt, and things were growing. I had hired someone to kind of help me with administrative stuff because things were kind of piling up as the business was starting to grow. And I was probably three three months away from thinking that I would need a sales person or really, to be more accurate, acquisitions person. Um, I was thinking in about three months, I think I'm going to start looking for that person. And I get calls once in a while, like I'm sure you do, from people who hear the podcast. I'm like, hey, I want to pick your brain or whatever, find you on bigger pockets or someplace and say, Hey, yeah. I just want to have coffee with you. So I got uh, an email from someone saying, Hey, I'd, I think he found me actually in bigger pockets, but um, he's like, Hey, I just want to pick your brain a little bit. If you would win mine, you know, buy a lunch or whatever. So I went to this and I, I do this once in a while, but I, I went to it 
And really, by the way, it has to do a lot with anybody who's listening. If you want to get a hold of Jeremy and have him go to lunch with you, it's a lot in the way you ask more than it is anything else. Like I've had people contact me and say, hey, I need private investors. Can you give me yours? Let's oh talk. God. And it's like, I don't, I don't I even return that. Time, you know, man. I don't return it. But when people come at me with a little bit more of a, of a normal person approach and say, hey, listen, I, I found you here. I'm new. I'd love to pick your brain. I don't want to waste a lot of your time, but if I could buy you coffee, I would really appreciate you spending a few moments. Okay, that's a person that I'll meet with because they're they're asking me in a kind of a reasonable way. So anyways, Mike did that, and I met Mike, and we talked about his business a little bit, where he was, and he was pretty new at the time. He'd only been doing it for a few months, and but what he wanted to know, what he wanted to meet me for, really the the, the crux of it was he wanted to get, he wanted to pick my brain about marketing. Because he wanted to find properties for his own buy and hold portfolio, and he knew that direct marketing was a good way to do it. So he was looking for someone who was doing it that he could kind of, just like I did, just figure out how it goes. So we met and we talked, and he told me a little bit about his business. And what struck me about him, a couple of things, I could tell he was smart. I could tell he was on the ball. But he had decided in September of 2014, yeah, 2014 September, I think that he wanted to be in real estate. He wanted rentals. And by like February, he had like three of them. Yeah. And massive action, massive action. It was definitely a guy who's not a talker. So that impressed me. And then I I met him and we talked. It was great. He said, thank you. We went our separate ways that night. He sent me an email thanking me for taking the time, kind of summarizing what we talked about. And then he sent me another part of the email was, oh, by the way, I think that I could help you, and here's how I think I could be inserted into your business in a way that would be helpful to you. And I was very impressed. It's like, hey, first of all, follow-up email, very professional. I appreciate that. And then to spend time thinking about my business and what he could do to bring value to it was, again, impressive. So I got a hold of him. We, I emailed him back. We emailed him back and forth a little bit, talked, and I said, you know what? I, You're in sales. You're a salesman. You're a natural sales guy. I'm looking for someone to do that in my business. It's a little early, but I'd like to bring you in and see if this works out. So I did, and um, it took some weight and some burden off of me going out to every single seller appointment. So I I focused my energy a little bit more on growth and marketing and getting better at that. And I went out with Mike on several appointments. I I say several. I don't even know how many. It was a handful. And... And on the next handful, he would kind of call me while he was there. He'd step out. Hey, I got to call my partner or whatever. We weren't partners at the time. But then I would kind of talk him through some of like what he's saying, the renovations or maybe the ARV. I would like help him out with that. And in a short period of time, he was just killing it. I mean, he was just getting contracts and just just totally killing it. And his questions that came back to me were fewer and fewer. You know, in the beginning, it was like explain how to do the comps, like explain the ARV, like walk through properties and show me how you look at them in terms of a renovation. And once he got a small amount of that, it was like he was able to like just take that little bit of information and grow fast because he's a, he's a fast learner, he's intelligent, and he's aggressive. So he just started killing it. And we were talking one day at uh, a meeting that we had that was unrelated to partnering or anything like that. We were just I think it was just a meeting, like a, let's catch up and talk about things. And I just randomly said to him, where do you see yourself in six months? Like, what do you what do you want out of this? What do you want out of real estate? Like, what do you think you'll be doing in a year or six months? And he said, to be honest with you, it's a conversation I was thinking about having with you sometime soon, not today or tomorrow, but Within the next few months, he said, but I'm not a kind of guy that wants to work for somebody forever. I, I enjoy working with you. I appreciate what you're showing me. 
and I'm having a lot of fun, but I'm not going to be happy in this capacity indefinitely. It's going to may not be today or tomorrow, may not be next month, but in some point in the near future, I'm going to come to you and say, I'm going to do this on my own. So I walked away from that and said, okay, I basically have a choice. I'm going to keep this guy as a partner or I'm going to lose him and he's going to become a competitor. I'm not, I'm not a real big proponent of anybody who does real or investing in your area as a competitor. Like I don't feel competitive or threatened, but the fact of the matter is he's going to be out there doing his own thing and I'm not going to be able to have any access to him. He's going to be doing his own thing. So talked to my wife about it, thought about it, kind of ran some scenarios. And I just came back to Mike and my point to him was pretty simple. And, and I think he would agree. I said, if, if you and I partner, we can't do double together what I could do by myself because that's no good to me. That doesn't make any, I might as well just do it on my own and just do that amount because of adding you just only doubles my business, then it's, it's pointless. It's a pointless, it's like a zero sum, right? Like it, it, we're splitting it in half. So I end up with the same thing at the end of the day. But if, if us partnering will allow us to do three, four, five, or 10 times what we could do separately, then it makes sense. And if we both think that that can be the case, we should do it. And we both agree that we thought that could be the case. So we did it. So we formed our company officially in August of 2015. Um, and, uh, you know, there's just no stopping us because Mike is Mike has zero like risk pain. Like he doesn't feel any he doesn't he doesn't get scared by risk or by taking chances or any like he's he has icy cold veins right he's just <laughs> ice water running through him his blood's and blue yeah cold. it's exactly it's like you know he i think if he almost got in a wreck his blood pressure wouldn't even go up right he's just he's a he's he's able to handle uh things without getting rattled um and i i like to think of myself kind of the same way i don't get i don't get rattled i'm not i don't get nervous by taking chances so together we're pretty aggressive and and there's you know if anything i'm probably the more conservative of the two and that's a it's a joke because i'm the least conservative person when it comes to risking money or taking risks in business i don't have tons of fear and he probably has less so um every once in a while i'm the one who's tapping the brakes which is ironic and funny <laughs> slow um, down mike square yeah slow down. And it's like i think both no. of our wives are like just Put blinders on us. Don't tell us. You I was know, like say, how many sleepless uh, nights my wife wouldn't sleep if she knew, you know, what was going on. But it's nothing. It's it's calculated risk, though, Absolutely, right? It's it's yeah. intelligent business calculated risks. It's not we're not throwing money into the wind and hoping that more comes back at us. We're not doing that at all. But we're not afraid to take on a little bit of risk if the reward, if we have an educated, you know, guess at what's going to happen next. <clears throat> a lot of people don't it. realize that failure is part of the process. And yeah. the risk mitigation is managing how much you fail and have – this is where I made my two mistakes with business is you, you need to have some way of measuring a failure so it's not fatal. Yeah. And you need some way of stopping before it becomes fatal because there's no way to avoid the actual failures. They happen yeah. all the time. Yeah. That's the risky part you're talking about. So obviously you guys are figuring out a way to mitigate – yeah, we are failures. So when you do lose, you lose small, but when you win, you win big, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's things that could go sideways on us pretty bad, but you know, right now the way we're structured and it could change and our business is evolving quite a bit, but right now I have the majority of the financial responsibility, right? I'm, I'm more the one who's managing money in money out. 
Um, so, you know, what I always tell Mike is like, you know, it's my responsibility to do what is be- in the best case of the business or the best interest of the business. And it's both of our jobs to try to grow this thing. So if we have an idea uh, and we do all the time, I mean, Mike and I talk, it's crazy. We text each other or get on the phone like more than a dozen times a day. We're talking constantly. Like teenage girls. It to- worse than that. I have teenage <laughs> girls or I had teenage girls, but uh, it's worse than that. I would yell at them if they texted this much. But um, but we constantly have ideas of how to get better and how to grow. And some of them are very aggressive ideas. Some of them are very, you know, quote unquote risky ideas. And some of them aren't. And what we always say and what I always say to Mike when we're talking about these things is it's a business case for me. If spending $50,000 will make us $100,000, I'll do it. And I won't think twice about it. I won't blink and I won't shy away. If spending $50,000 is going to make us $51,000, I probably would be more hesitant because then there's that's money that's being used ineffectively. Yeah, right? it's risk versus it's, reward. It's, it's right, right. Yeah. But, but Mike and I have spent a lot of money on ideas and, and concepts that we wanted to implement that have paid off big time because we knew that there was a, a high a high reward possibility. So there's really no amount of risk that we're unwilling to take, but we just go through the business case and we run this. That's what I can't stress enough. Everybody out there, if you're flipping houses, landlord, whatever you are, you really need to run your business like a business. Yeah, Don't think of it like a hobby. You like better track shit. Track yeah. stuff like you really need to run it like a business. So if the biz, if there's a business case and it makes sense, we'll always do it, right? Some people just spend money and they don't know what's coming back. They're not sure if there's a return on their investment. And you know, certainly as you make more money, you have to really look into those kind of things. So we're, I feel like we're kind of getting into like a, I don't know, like a business, like a Dave Ramsey thing here. No, or something. it's good. But, this is people need to know. I, I'm learning some shit here. You know, but I mean, it, you know. We're, at the end of the day, I'll tell you this. I'll just crowbar this in because it's it's something. It wasn't something I necessarily were planning on saying, but I can tell you this: the the number one thing that changed my business before Mike came in into it, and what has allowed Mike and I to grow and and have the success that we're having now for whatever whatever it's worth. The number one concept that changed everything for me in real estate, and I mean everything, and I mean dramatically. And this is going to sound like common sense to some people. And for some people, they might go, yeah, that's great for you, but it won't work for me. But the number one thing, and I learned it through my podcast, and I learned it from people outside of my bubble and people who are very successful in other areas of the country. I never would have done it, and I never would have necessarily believed it had the impact it does. But the concept that changed everything for me was if you're going to run a business, you need to hire things out. You can't try to do everything yourself because... If you're doing everything yourself, you're not really building a business. No, you're self-employed. You're self-employed, yeah. and you have a job, and that job is whatever you do. Yeah. Um, I'm not a hard, I'm not opposed to working hard in my business. I'm not at all. But when when I started, and now Mike and I together have been hiring people and basically trying to replace what we do in our business with somebody else, so that we can step out of it. And look at the overall picture. Things have gone faster and better for us than they were before. And I went through a lot of years where I was flipping houses, where pretty much the whole time I was a house flipper, it was me and my wife. And when I say me and my wife, I mean me and my wife would go to closings. She would get the utilities turned on. She would 
make sure we had the insurance in place, the homeowner's insurance, and she would help me pick out tile and paint colors. The rest of the business was me um, finding the money, finding the houses, going and looking at houses, negotiating prices, talking to the contractors, dealing with timelines, dealing with budgets. All that was me, and it impeded my growth. I could have been better and bigger, and not that bigger is always better, but I could have been more financially successful flipping houses had I gotten and understood the concept of hiring and building a team. I would have said at the time, if you would have came to me and said, hey, you should build a team of people, hire, I would have said, I can't. There's no money in the budget for that. I can't afford to pay people to do all this. I need to be doing it. But the reality is, as soon as you pay someone to do what you're doing, you can focus on other things that more contribute to the bottom line than you know, maybe going to Home Depot and looking at carpet. I mean, yeah, there's money there, but it's not enough that it should take up your whole day or half your day or whatever. So when I started, the concept of building a team around me changed everything. Everything. And that's a scary thing to do. Cause it's I've, super I've scary. Done it. I've done it. So it I'm, is scary. I know. It puckers the butthole quite a bit. It's not easy, but I, I'm adamant, and I, I still have friends who are in the local market who are one-man show. And I've told some of them and some of them I haven't because I'm not intrusive and tell people how to run their business. But the ones that have asked me what I do or how I do it or whatever, any advice, I always tell them you need to hire. And I don't, I'm not saying go out and hire a team of 10 day one and, and tank your business. It has to be yeah, you build it. growth oriented yeah. and it has to build it. But if you, have you don't to start on your own, you have to start. You on can't your own. stay on your own, though, yep. if you want to grow at some but point. But I'll tell you what, you, you cap out. You can, you can start hiring people sooner than most people think. And I'm not talking about hiring a $50,000 a year project manager. I'm saying, you know, if you're doing direct marketing, hire a VA from the Philippines to answer the phones for you. It's dirt cheap and it's saving you a lot of time and energy. And it really doesn't cost that much if you really look at it. So, I think building the team is important. You have to start on your own. You you need to understand what you're telling people. But in the very short term, if you're not starting to, if you're not thinking about building your team from day one, even if you're not doing it yet, but if you're not planning that way, that it's fine. But you're you're putting a limit on what your business will be or can be. I really believe that. That was there's no way other than um, getting into Mark Digital's mastermind and in that networking and the in the information and the confidence I gained from that aside from that that's what got me into the game what has allowed me to really change the game for myself is the idea of building a team those are the two by far and away the biggest concepts that ever ever came into my life of real estate yeah and hire slow fire fast oh that's for sure yeah, I yeah. Did not do the that, worst thing the you way. can do that's, is, is hire fast terrible. and fire yeah. slow and, and I've been I've been guilty of that it, yeah. it, it can happen it's hard firing people sucks you know it's not fun um, I hate it. Yeah. I hate it. And then I fun. try not to do it. So you get smarter about hiring after you fire a few people because you hate the feeling so much that you try so hard to be careful when you're hiring so you don't have to go through that again. Yeah, that's some sage advice. Let's talk about this partner thing some more. Did you put together a checklist? Because uh reason why at some point I may partner with someone on something, so it's not so subtle why I'm so interested yeah, in this. Because yeah. I'm right now firmly in the fucking never yeah. category. Yeah. And you I were. You. I don't blame you. So if I, Mike hadn't come along, I would still be in the never category. Yeah, very likely, right? Yeah. Yeah. So did, you brought up some good points. They need to bring, and correct me if I'm wrong, I want to summarize a few things. Uh, it sounds like you had like a check. They need to add more value than just two people getting together, mm-hmm. right? Like it needs to be exponential to a certain degree. Uh, um, 
they need to be able to to they need to be good at things that you aren't good at, right? Yep. Was there anything else on on that? And obviously, you got along and you communicated <laughs> similarly. Yeah. Right? So, what was really key for us? And I'll tell you right now, I'm going to completely burst anyone's bubble who might be impressed with our our the planning of our partnership. Uh, and this is probably I don't know if Mike wants me to tell, but honestly, I know Mike well enough to go. I don't give he a shit. Don't care, yeah. He doesn't give a shit. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> too busy counting money. We don't we don't have a formal partnership agreement. There's nothing in writing for us, which is scary when you. Well, it's not scary to me, and it's not scary to him because neither one of us have that this this fear level that people have. But I'm not. Again, you said at the beginning of the show, we're not lawyers. We're not giving you know advice yeah. here on law. I suggest anyone who forms a partnership create an operating agreement and do all that. We didn't yet, and maybe we never will. I don't know. Um, but what had to happen for me was it. Ha- number one, they had the. I keep saying they. It wasn't like it was all on Mike, but the the partnership had to produce more than one plus one equals two because one plus one equals two is the exact same as one plus one equals one, right? Or one by itself is one, right? I mean, it, it doesn't help me to only double my potential by adding one other person that that is expected right it had to be more than double so that was number one number two it had to be someone who had complementary skills or at least a core skill that complemented me and i had been doing sales in the business for a while i don't enjoy it for me sales is you know Really, kind of theoretically and and literally sitting in a driveway and going, okay, all right, smile <laughs> and like be personable because by nature I'm a recluse. I'm not I'm not outgoing. I don't like going to meetups and meet people. I, I'm just I don't enjoy it because it's it goes against my personality. But so I'd have to sit there and talk myself into being a salesman for an hour. Yeah, Mike's not that way at all. No, and yeah. I could do that. He's the exact polar opposite. Yeah. You walk I, in any room, make yeah, friends with everybody sure. in minutes. And I could do that. I just didn't enjoy it. And I would do it as long as I had to do it, but I enjoy it. So Mike's core skill is he's an he's a ninja sales guy. He's an assassin. He's an absolute assassin. So that was huge to me. Um what some of the things I brought to the table, I think, for Mike, and I, I don't want to speak for him, but we had never really talked about it, to be honest with you. We've never really had a real conversation about it. But if I had to guess, it would be experience, number one, right? I flipped houses. I had some rentals at the time, too. Um, so I brought a lot of experience to the table and knowledge just of the industry. I had a lot of contacts. I have, you know, investors that I have con- uh, that I have relationships with. So I brought a lot of that stability and knowledge and like av- avoidance of hurdles that we would inevitably come across because of what I'd already done. So that was kind of where where we were with with the partnership, but I needed someone who complimented me and I needed to compliment him. Now, the things that were also probably just as important is and we talked about this before we got on the air is Mike and I are insanely impatient. We have no patience. We have absolutely no tolerance for people who are slow to move, and we want things done immediately. So that helps us implement things at like breakneck speed. If we have an idea, we really try to implement it like that day or the next day. We really want to go fast. Um, so we've been able to grow fast because of that. We he's he's not afraid of risk. He's not afraid of spending money. He's not afraid of taking risk in business. And neither am I. And we're both adamant about creating a business that we're proud of and having a reputation that's good 
And that doesn't necessarily mean playing into people who want to talk negatively about you. But I've always, I told Mike when he, when he was working for me, one of the things I told him, because Mike's instinct is to get things for the best possible price, right? So he kind of would question me early on, or we would talk about when am I going to, when I'm, I'm paraphrasing the conversation. It was, it didn't exactly go like this, but essentially we would talk about how do we know when we're taking it too far with trying to drive price down with a seller. And I said, a lot of the people we're buying from are going to be older because older people are the ones that have equity and that they're in a life situation where they need to sell fast and they can't use the MLS because maybe there's a lot of deferred maintenance, whatever. Whatever the reason may be, a lot of our customers are elderly. And I said, you need to make sure that whatever you do, that if someone was handling your grandmother or grandfather that that way, you wouldn't want to kill them. Like you wouldn't think that they took advantage of them or were rude to them. So you need to. I said, in my opinion, especially given your age, you should speak to them as if they're a grandfather figure, you know, or with that kind of respect. Don't don't talk to them like they're an object. And if you think you can get it, if you think a fair price and we'll make money, whatever is $40,000, but because they don't know any better and they're a little bit scared, you could get them down to 20. I said, you have to be able to look at yourself the next day in the mirror. If you can't look at yourself and if you think that you absolutely screwed someone who just didn't know any better and should not have paid, you know, not have given their house away for that, then I wouldn't do it. I don't, I don't think we should do that. Now, that being said, we always try to get the best price we can. But there's a time when you know, and you, oh, yeah, you, you I know, know exactly when you're, you're in front of someone and you know, I can absolutely. I've had old ladies trying to give me houses. You can absolutely yeah. screw them over and they won't even know. And or they'll thank you. And they'll thank you. And they'll you thank you. Or yeah. you can get it for a price that works well for you and you know it's fair to them and, and you can walk away that way. You, just do that because and he, and he wasn't arguing. It was just more of a philosophical a idea of how we want to yeah. handle things. And and I said, there'll always be another house that we'll make money on. It'll be fine. Um, We don't have to do make a killing on a house where the person is being taken advantage of. So bottom line is we just don't want to take advantage of of people. We're always looking for great deals. And I'll tell you, Mike has gotten houses for a lot less than I thought he could get them. Not because he took advantage of someone, but because someone had unrealistic expectations based on what their house looked like and where it was situated. We knew what they really, what we could give them for it. And, and they had a much higher idea of what their house was worth because it was sentimental to them. And Mike has gone in there and kind of shown them with facts and data. Listen, your house is great. You should be proud of it, right? I mean, you did some great things here. But here's, here's what, here's what the market is telling us, right? This is what, this is the reality of, of where we are. Now, you can go list with a realtor, and I encourage you to do that. He does tell people, list to a realtor if you think you can get more. If you can't, give me a call, and then we'll talk about our price again. And some people look at it, and they see reason, and they just go with us. And some people go to realtors and then come back to us because it doesn't work out for them. Um, you know. But the, the thing is you have to be careful of when you're talking to sellers. And this is really more Mike's arena than mine, but... You know, you don't want to insult them. Everyone's proud of their house. You may walk in and look at it and go, this is kind of a dump. But they put the cabinets in. You know, him and the the guy and his son lay the tile in the bathroom. And, like, they're proud of it. It, It's it's nice. And so we make sure that we're never insulting. But it's, it's a trick. It's a tricky thing to try to bring a little bit of reality in when you're talking to someone who's passionately emotionally attached to their house. You know, maybe it was their house they grew up in and their parents just died. So it's all these things, but Mike's great at getting to the 
getting to the price that works for us without doing anything that's unethical or anything where he feels like, you know, he has a hard time reconciling doing it, right? It's just not worth it. If we could make an absolute killing on a house, but we have to screw someone to do it, I would rather just do 10 more houses and not not do that. And that's the truth. So you really got to be careful. I know, I know there's people out there that don't have that philosophy. I know there no, are in this, know in this market, and they will absolutely, yeah. they'll just take a house from someone. Until they, they end up, I, one of my great, greatest worries, it's, it's funny that you have this concern as well, too. For me, it's even beyond, it's a smart business decision. It's even beyond the, whoever the person is, elderly or not. First of all, nobody's a socialist when they're selling, right? Yeah. But, but guess who controls all the news, right? No matter if you came to an agreement, two adults and you signed and everybody was happy with the deal. And then a family member gets hold of it later and you end up on channel seven news or some shit like that for yeah. scumbag of the week, right? You, you have to control perceptions about your, your business yeah. and something you brought up even earlier was everybody thinks you get rich flipping and wholesaling. It takes no work and all that. And a lot of people, especially in the media know that. So that, that's one of my concerns. Like, man, I always, when I'm talking to people, you you know, you could probably do better. People are like, why do you say that? Jeremy? You know, you know, you can probably do better if you went with a real estate agent. Here's the reality. It's called the fucking truth, folks. Yeah. For, for people, you know, this is what I find for in Mike too. For people who think, "Oh my God, if I go into a house to buy it, I'm not even going to mention realtors because yeah. they'll totally not sell to me." Here's the thing: realtors are not a secret. They've already thought of a realtor. It's already entered their brain. So when you go in there and talk to them and you say, "You know, have you thought about listening to a realtor?" Yes, they have, and it, and it's not going to work for them because they need to move quickly. The house is in shambles, and it really can't be sold on the MLS because it'll never pass an inspection, FHA or otherwise. Um, they hate realtors. Whatever the reason is, they've they've thought of it. You know, yeah. it's like saying, "Hey, I need some, I need, I need a loaf of bread," and you go and give. You thought about going to the store? Of course, they've thought about it. And if they're not doing it, there's a reason. So don't worry about it. Always try to do the right thing, I guess. And well, I don't want to get overly years, I'll preachy. Have you sign a form that you said, you know, you can hire a real estate agent, you know, you, you might as well just get used to it. You know, yeah. just, I, and I don't want to sound preachy. Everyone has their own idea of what's right and wrong. And I'm not trying to impose what I think is right and wrong. All I'm saying is don't be a bad person. Yeah. And I, and Mike and I have talked about this before too. We just don't want to, we don't want to be a bad person, you know? So you could undo an entire business in one transaction. Yeah. You, you can, you bad news travels way faster than good news. It could just, it could happen like that. And then yeah. did you really make more money? Yeah. And here's the you thing too. Didn't. You lost money. Yeah. It, you know, we've had people too, where we've signed an agreement and then like three days later, they call us and say, we changed our mind and we don't like lawyer up and like, we're going to sue you into the ground. We just go, you know what? Fine. And, and we get that. pissed. Don't I get don't me wrong. Do we're not like yeah. happy about it. We don't get pissed. I mean, we get pissed, but to ourselves, we get pissed. And we just go, you know what? Let's just go get five more. Let's don't even worry about it. You don't file one. a claim of interest or nothing? You know, we have. Yeah. Um, we have on really big deals, but I have recently been told by a lawyer, and again, we're not offering legal advice, that those things are next to impossible to defend because essentially you can't force someone to sell their house. Um, no, now, but if they ever want to sell on a warranty deed, guess who's, uh, yeah, this happens all the time. First I've had a lawyer us. tell me it, it's, it's more of a waste of time than anything. Now, ironically, we're kind of going through a process right now where we're speaking to an attorney and having them look again at our documents and, and look at our NOIs and just seeing what makes sense. 
But again, honestly, I'll be perfectly honest. Mike and I have more often than not just said screw it and moved on. Dude, you're nicer than I am. What, just, what happens if you call three days later and you're like, you never mind. Change my mind. They're going to call Channel 7 News. Yeah, you know what? It's a it's a whole it's a whole podcast probably. It goes both ways, I think. It, it goes it, it, goes it can both go both ways. ways. You're right. Being Mike and I never sign a contract we don't think we can honor. Um, but I will say this, there are deals where people are desperate to sell and we know that what they have to sell for because maybe what they owe on it probably is not going to fly with our buyers. We're probably not going to be able to find a buyer, but they're insisting on us buying their house or they're very excited about the idea that we'd buy their house so we set expectations sometimes we say listen oh yeah we'll, we'll sign the agreement yeah. yeah it's probably not going anywhere it's probably going to get rejected by our investors i'm just letting you know that we're going to probably be back in a week yeah. saying it just doesn't work but if you would if you're interested in us trying we'll try right that those are the instances where we cancel contracts yeah other than that if you we, take the first price we don't because yeah. here's why Here, it goes back to the original point that we talked about because Mike now more than he did in the beginning and me certainly I know what a good deal is and Mike and I have had deals under contract rentals that we thought were good deals and we put them out to our list and nobody bought so you know what we did we didn't cancel the contract if we, we truly thought they were good deals and we put our money where our mouth is we bought them yeah we just took put them in our own portfolio I bought a house in Redford uh for forty four thousand dollars nobody on the list wanted it I know what house this is, by the way. You do? Yeah. How do you know? Because uh, I think Dave Deska gave us both the same lead. This was this a while ago. From a lawyer, like three, no. four months ago. No, oh, different house. No, this was probably yeah. this was probably six months ago. Yeah, no, they might be the same one. I don't know. We won't get into it now. If it's it okay. is, it is. But we had it on our list, and nobody wanted it. And I said, I'll take it. Now I bought it for forty four. It take it took about fifteen hundred dollars to fix up. And it's rented for eleven fifty. Oh yeah, no, it's not the same house. No, that's a damn in good Redford. Deal. It, yeah. Nobody wanted it, right? But I knew it was, it was a good deal. Was that frame? It it was uh, half and half, half and half, half frame, okay. half brick. It's right on Beach Daily. Oh, that that tips why. everyone off. Yeah, that, that's, that's why. why. That's why. But rents like a yeah. I bought it for forty four. I put fifteen into it and rents for eleven fifty. I mean. That's a good deal. If you're listening in California, I'm not screwing that's around. That's a for real. Good deal. Now, that's, if you're listening in Michigan, it's like, well, I, that's so not enough Daily. for me. It's yeah. oh, Beach Daily. It's a main road. Well, listen, it's a great return on investment for me. Yeah. So anyways, it, 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 I'm not saying it's the best deal anyone's ever heard of. It's just it's solid and nobody bought it. So we bought it. We could have canceled the contract, but I'm happily pulling in positive cash flow on a house. Yeah, it's a damn good deal. You know, it's a good deal. Yeah. So knowing knowing a good deal and not knowing a good deal keeps us from having to cancel contracts. Theoretically, we should never have to cancel one that we think is a good deal because if we're wrong, what are we doing? Why don't we know that? You know, that's what I always go back to with uh, some wholesalers I've seen their deals. Why don't you know this is a bad deal? What what is wrong with you that you're doing this in an industry that you don't even clearly don't understand? Why are you doing this? So, yeah, I wonder about that too, and then I just don't. I, sometimes I, I go well, to say something. And half I, of them are just forwarding on emails from other market, yeah. um, other wholesalers. They don't even know what's going on. They haven't even looked at it. They're just forwarding it on and trying to get a day. day I like day how day you on. said you went back and did their own math and they're losing money. It's like I've used the, Jesus, the math that they're yeah. sending out. It's Come like, on, man. You're advertising a losing proposition here, but whatever. Yeah. It's fine. And they're all proud of it. Or, or one of my pet peeves. I love, I love talking about this shit. You morons. I actually, I, I did a wholesaling series where I covered this in detail. What is gross ROI? These fucking retards. And yes, I said retards. I shouldn't say that probably, but whatever. 
what is gross RO? It doesn't doesn't exist. Return on it. Yeah. They, well, they just invent right. shit and sturdy. You, yeah. you, I've never even heard that. Somebody's used gross ROI oh, on yeah, you before, dude. You don't do enough Detroit shit. You gotta, <laughs> no, <laughs> you gotta I come don't. slum it over here with all these hood geniuses getting rich with their record deals. Gross ROI, gross awesome. ROI. They're just taking financial You'll make 40% terms and put them together before you pay your expenses. That's exactly. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, so that's what it is. Gross ROI is. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like the cost. They're just looking at the cost of the rent, bills. the gross yeah. rent. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's a good one. Geniuses. Yeah, and sometimes they don't even include rehab in it too. Yeah. Listen, well, listen. Those are the people you want to sell to. Yeah, you know, they're not they're not buying under that concept. Yeah, but they they're sell money. under that concept. They don't, they don't have money. Otherwise, I probably would sell to them. I don't care. If you're going to be a genius like that, you go, you go, you go right for it. So yeah, that's listen, one of my. I don't things. tell people how to spend their money. It's just that's, yeah, that's awesome. Spend your money however you want. Let's let's take. I like how you talking about team building. So, what are some things to consider when you're talking? Because I think this could apply to anybody's business and and probably to anybody's life, right? Yeah. So let's not talk just directly about wholesaling and real estate. Although I know that's what you're doing, mm-hmm. so I know it's going to be heavy into that, right? But because it's a scary thing for me. It's something I'm going to want to do in a year or two. Okay. Right. So this is, I'm just going to yeah. be transparent. You yeah. Know? I, yeah. Yeah. It's, no, it's good. I, it's probably going to be some sort of commercial real estate business too. So <laughs> okay. for people listening, I wonder where the direction I'm going and all that. Um, what is the, what, what are the things you considered when you sat down to, to build a team? And if there were some, if they have X, no, if they have why, yes, or maybe it's not like that. So maybe it's not a very good question, but, um, um, yeah, it probably wasn't even that scientific. So what we thought about or what I thought about before Mike came along, I just talk about after Mike came along. It's the same concept. It's just, I started doing it before he was there, but what we do is originally we looked at, okay, how, where are we spending time and what, is, what are we spending the most time on that's bringing in the least amount of money or is contributing least to the bottom line, right? So low-hanging fruit type stuff, administrative type type stuff, paperwork type stuff, that's the first thing we hired out, right? And and it, and we it was important to hire out first things that were, and this sounds bad, but things that were relatively repetitive and fairly mindless, right? Things that didn't require a lot of independent thinking. Why does that or, sound bad? Well, mindless, because I hired someone to do it. I'm calling it mindless. Um, but hiring out things that you could show them once and they could do it over and over again and didn't require a lot of thought, right? So we could kind of set it and forget it. So that was sort of the first thing that we did. And then it was more like what now what's taking up all of our time? And let's find one or more person who can come in and do that. And again, it was it was a it was a process because we had to have money coming in to pay people. But it's it's so much cheaper to hire people than you really believe it's going to be. So one of the first people we hired was a, a, v, a VA from the Philippines that cost us like three dollars an hour, and we were utilizing this person like twenty bucks or twenty hours a week. Not even, I think it was like ten hours a week. It's it's crazy. It's like yeah, for the price of a bucks. good dinner, yeah, yeah. you can pay someone you know for a month. So that's what we did, and and we did that first. And then what? It's funny thing that when people who are really successful wholesalers told me before I was really doing wholesaling or really successful at it, they said you're going to want to hire a, 
a closing coordinator sooner rather than later. And I did a couple of, of uh, wholesale deals and it was like, I talked to the buyer, they signed the contracts, I sent them a title, and then two days before the thing was going to close, title would send me the paperwork, I sent it to the buyer, we'd all nod, and then we'd go to closing. I'm like, why would I need to hire someone to sit around for three weeks while the title company does their work? And I didn't get it. Well, what I didn't factor in was everybody I was selling to was like a friend or a colleague who was easy and smart and knew me and trusted me. So there was a lot of trust and things being taken for granted there that when you start expanding your buyers list to people you don't know that they have concerns and questions and they're finicky and they're a pain in the ass and they you know whatever so it it, it ha- quickly i realized that a closing coordinator in the wholesaling business is critical so we hired someone to do closings for us handle closings handle talking to the buyers talking to the sellers talking to the title company and managing that flow of information and paperwork to get us to closing smoothly that's a full-time job it really is when you're doing enough deals so that was the second person we hired um at some point we decided that we were going to start putting up signs here and there and we hired someone to do that. Not saying where. <laughs> Not saying where. Out of Michigan. Wherever the fuck I want. Exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, so we hired someone to do that. And then as things started going, Mike and I were talking about you know the concept of working on your business, not in your business. And we both know that if we want this to go where we expect it to go, Mike can't go on every sales call. I can't handle all the marketing to the buyers, to the sellers, and all this other stuff, all the financial back-end stuff, the books, everything. I, I We can't, we'll, we'll just be where we are. We're kind of at capacity. So we started a campaign to hire um, an acquisitions person who we've hired now. All right. So you did. I did see that. We yeah. did hire. We did hire someone uh, who is, I think, going to be really good. Is uh, anybody I know? Nope, he's okay. not even in the industry. He's completely outside I of the industry. You would have to do that. Yeah. yeah, he's he's a he's a salesman. He's a pure. He's kind of like the Mike scenario, right? Mike wasn't really in real. I mean, he was, but he wasn't like this real estate veteran. Yeah, people want to be in sales who yeah. are entre- entrepreneurial, basically. Yeah, right? e- exactly. Yeah. And, and Mike, Mike was a pharmaceutical salesman, like nothing further from real estate. But he's a killer real estate acquisitions guy. So this guy was not in real estate, but he's he's doing well. He's new. He, he's he's going to be great, I think. So we hired that guy. Um, I just went through doing last year's taxes, and I would rather kill myself than do that again. So we hired a bookkeeper. Yeah. Just hired a bookkeeper. We tried a service that didn't work out, so we hired someone to work directly for us as a bookkeeper. Um, that is going to be a godsend. It's already been a godsend, and I think it's going to be huge at the end of the year each quarter when we're paying our taxes. So right now, we have a, our team is a person who answers our phones. Uh, I didn't really mention him, but he he's from the Philippines, a VA. He answers our phones and he does call because we we use a um, we use a voicemail system for our we don't do live answer right big debatable topic for wholesalers. Do you live answer? Both work. I don't think there's they a both right work, answer. and there'll be people who will vehemently argue that you have to answer every call, and there'll be people who vehemently argue no, you can't scale that way. You have to do voicemail. Whatever we do voicemail right now is how we do it. It could change, but that's how we do it. So someone we have someone who. Answers well. He calls those people back. But he says his job. He returns calls all day long. Um, we have someone who's doing a closing coordination. We have someone who's going out on appointments now. We have a bookkeeper. We have a sign guy. I don't think I'm forgetting anybody. That's that's our team right that's, now. Hey, that's growing, man. And it's growing. And and honestly, we don't have any plans in the immediate 
future or even in the foreseeable future to hire anybody else. I think between who we have, not a, everyone's not at capacity. There's things that they could be doing that they're not doing. So we'll utilize who we have for now and then we'll grow as needed. But the idea here isn't to have a 50-person team to do what we're doing. Real estate and the way we're doing it, the great thing about it is you need some people. You could argue, do you need two people? Do you need five people? Do you need six people? Do you need one person? It's debatable, but I think you need one or two at least. For us, it's this team is us, and I think we can grow exponentially without adding another person to the team. That's interesting how you did that. I thought you would have to go outside the... um the industry too. So too many entrepreneurial people. Yeah, it's that tough. That could be a problem. Yeah, we actually yeah. hired, we actually interviewed people. We did a lot of interviews. We interviewed people who told us, I want to work for you as a as an acquisitions person so that I can learn everything you know and then move to Florida and do it. I appreciate their being honest. You know? <laughs> I appreciate the honesty too. It saves but I don't a lot want of you time. to move to Florida. That's a yeah, problem for like, me. Yeah, it's like, I, why would you say that? And it doesn't make any sense. But okay, well, thank you for your time, but uh, yeah. no, thank you. So well, you the really guy we got yeah. is—he's uh, awesome. Um, you know, he's a super smart guy. He's on top of it. He's—he he's, knows what he's doing. But he doesn't want to run a wholesaling business. It's just not his. He doesn't want to run any real estate business that I'm aware of. Uh, maybe that will change. Things change, but. Uh, right now, he's purely focused on sales, and he's happy doing it. So yeah. he'll he'll do fine, and he's being trained by Mike. So he's he's gonna kill it. Yeah, Mike squared man, mm-hmm. dude's got the stuff. <laughs> Whatever that stuff yeah, is, he's I, got it in spades. He's got it. That's for sure. He helped me out, and I'm seriously, folks, go back and listen to two podcasts I did with Cowper. Mike Cowper, I think it was like 1923 or some shit like that. I don't know, whatever it is. Especially if you spend any time on the phone. I'm yeah. sure he's good at lots of things, but yeah, uh, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing, but the, the, some of the shit he told me about talking to sellers that 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 stuff that was stuff really really panned out. Yep. So we're coming up on two hours here. I want to be respectful of your time, but I have a shit ton more questions, so I'm going to try and be judicious. All right. It's crazy. And, yeah, and. What do you think the future holds? So we kind of started at the beginning. Now we're kind of caught up to press. Oh, damn. Sorry. I'm going to put you on the spot. You do not have to answer this question if you don't want to. All right. Let's have it. All right. How do you and Cowper handle conflict? Handle conflict? Conflict, yes. Oh, that's not. I'll tell you a lot more than that. Um, (laughs) Get thrown under the bus, Mike. I'll be honest. You know, we haven't had a lot of conflict between us because we think so much alike um really that's interesting we really haven't uh and let's see if i want to i want to give you a good answer though. i don't wanna, i'm not trying to cop out i'm we have we have never had an argument i can tell you that um when have we disagreed yeah or how do you resolve i don't necessarily need to know we, what no no how that's okay we, uh, i'm just trying to think of right? an, i'm trying to think of an example that i could use so we have had we've approached problems or we've approached growth strategies from different angles before um and usually we will we'll throw out points and counterpoints until somebody runs out of points and then we'll kind of look back at it and make a logical decision. There's been times where he's wanted to kind of handle a situation a certain way and I didn't think based on experience or whatever, I didn't think it was going to work out as well as he did. And I and I, but the, the number one thing is we talk so much. There's nothing to fester, right? Nothing festers. We we talk about everything immediately. So if someone's going down a path that the other person doesn't think is is good, 
we're t- we're debating it before it ever gets too far. So it kind of keeps us from being in any real arguments. But if he, if he has an idea that I don't think is going to work, I will tell him flatly why I don't why I don't think it's going to work. And the good thing is neither one of us have we don't get our feelings hurt easily. We have thick skin. So I don't say that's stupid, but he doesn't say that's stupid, but I'll say, you know, I'll bring up all the reasons why I think it may not work. And he'll tell me why he thinks it does. And at the end of it, we've been very good about looking at the facts that we've laid out and going, you know, you're right. You're you're probably right. This is probably a good idea or it's probably a bad idea. So we've been good that way. Um, but honestly, I, I, I do it all the time. Um, Michael come up with something and I don't disagree with them, but I will debate it as if I do to see if it really holds water because entrepreneurs think of things a hundred times a day, ideas of things you should do. And if we tried to do everything we thought of, we would never, we'd just be spinning in circles, right? So and quite frankly, most ideas do suck. Yeah. yeah. Most ideas suck. So if, <laughs> if him and I bring up an idea, the other person's job in our opinion is to poke holes in it. And if we can easily poke holes in it, it's a bad idea and we yeah. just move on. If if I can't poke holes in it, then I'll then I'll try to look at it more from a positive perspective and go, okay, now let's talk about why this is a good idea and try to try to strengthen it a little bit instead of poking holes in it. But we both really try to just poke holes in the other person's ideas all day long. So we're kind of used to it. There's really no way to have an argument when, you know, a lot of things that we talk about start out as well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, what did you think about this? Well, what if this happens? And if he can just if he can volley all those back to me without a problem, then I have to start looking at it seriously. Like, this is a good idea. It really is a good well, idea. Well, it sounds like you have an open agreement to question each other at all times, yeah, right? Yeah, constantly. Yeah. Constantly. I mean, we, we, and it's not taken as no. We philosophically yeah. agree on almost everything at a high level, but when you get granular. Sometimes he has ideas yeah, that I don't agree same. with, and sometimes yeah. I have ideas that he doesn't agree with. But it's always the bottom line is this, and we've said it a hundred times in the last week because we've had a couple things we've had to try to figure out how we're going to deal with it. It always boils down to what's best for the business, not what makes you feel like you're the bigger contributor in the partnership or that you get to make decisions, but what's best for the business. And if I don't want to do it necessarily, or if I don't think it's a great idea, but I can't refute that it's good for the business. We'll try it. We'll do it. You know, nobody's in charge, so to speak, which is good and bad, I guess, because it, it it's tough when you have a vote and it's one to one. But so far, so good. I mean, my vote counts for two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're, we're always we're always looking at growth and trying to implement things that'll help us grow. That's really all we're focused on, and and getting better at what we are already are doing. So there's really not. It's hard to complain when you're both looking at the same map. You know, it's like yeah, you can argue about. You know, maybe taking this side street versus that side street. But if at the end of the day, usually what happens when we disagree or we have different ideas about how something should be done, at the end of the day, we both agree that both things probably would work. So it boils down to just a matter of opinion. And if he came up with it and I have a better, but, or I'm sorry, if I have a different but equal way of getting to the same thing, then I just concede. Why would I go with a different but equal way? That doesn't help anything. He came to me or I came to him with an idea that'll get us from A to B. Why should I try to take a different route to get to B? He's already found a route. I can't think of a reason why not to do it. We do it. That's it. So whatever's best for the business. I appreciate you answering that. That's it's something that comes up a lot. And obviously I've had two rough, bad partnerships. So it's it's constantly. You know, in my I mind, said it you know? I said it at the beginning. And there, you went from never to doing it. So yeah, what better there's person an to equal, ask, you know? There's an equal part where I will take credit. And, and and I'll give Mike credit to you on, the, on his side of it, but where I will take credit for being 
I believe, a pretty good judge of character. I Mike worked for me for six months before we f- did this partnership. So I got a chance to get to know him and how he operates and what his work ethic was like and how he handles adversity and how he makes decisions and like his his decision-making ability. So I kind of got to see all that, right? So that's kind of like judging him based on six months. I, there was a part of it that's probably luck. You know, I mean, I, I don't think nobody nothing great happens in business without some kind of luck a little bit so probably i got lucky that everything i thought about him turned out to be true he's ethical he's hardworking. he's ambitious he's uh honest um he's really good at what he does he defers when he when he should and he stands strong on something when he thinks that he should stand strong because he's right so i was right about all those things hopefully he feels the same way and so far Everything has worked out really well. Uh, people could be laughing right now going, yeah, six months. That's awesome, guys. Congratulations. Wait till you've been doing this for five years. Yeah, you murder each other right? Tomorrow. But I mean, Doubtful. Uh, probably if our business was tanking, it would be more stressful on the, on the partnership. But we're having a lot of success. So, you know, when you're having success, it's like, you know, football teams, right? If the Lions were, were 14 and two last year. Uh, there'd be no complaints. Everyone no. would think the Lions are the greatest thing in the world. But when they, when they end up being 0-16, it's like they're the worst thing in the world. And it's like, you know, it, those coaches and those players are all superstars in their life in the past, right? They were all the captain of their high school team. They were all American. The coaches all came from the ranks and were like, they're all really good. It just, they had a bad year. It didn't go well. They're not all idiots. They're not all the players don't suck because those same players could turn out a 10 and six season the next year. And you go, Oh, he's pretty good. Next year was our year, right? So right now things are going well for Mike and I. So yeah, it's probably a lot easier to get along when things are going well. I'm not going to lie. If things weren't going well, we probably would have to look at everything more critically, but you know, I think that I I trust his judgment. I think he trusts mine that even if things don't go well, we'll be able to work our way out of it because we still have the work ethic. We still have the vision. We still have the knowledge of our industry. We'll be able to work out of whatever happens. But, you know, hey, we'll see. Mm. So back to our original question. Thank you for answering that for me. Um, did I answer the question? You did. Okay, you did. good. Yeah. I don't good. even know. Sometimes I start talking. <laughs> That's all right. What does the future look like oh, for uh, Mike squared? We buy ROI. Where are you guys heading? Yeah. So this is, you're getting into our super secret meetings now, but, um, all right. <laughs> I want the meeting notes to the he, super secret. Meetings. Here's what we tell people. Is there here's, a knock? Yeah. Oh my God. You guessed it. What's I knew. the chances? I've been what to the same the, meeting. What are the chances? You <laughs> son of a bitch. Um, what uh, so what we're trying to what we tell people what we've always said we're we're being silly but kind of not is we really want to be in Michigan southeast Michigan what we call a black hole of deals meaning <laughs> black every hole of deals. every deal gets sucked into our machine <laughs> so you can fight us or you can join us so I like that big uh, machine you ever watch the original transformers cartoon the movie Yes, Do you I'm remember old that enough. Big machine with the teeth of like eight. Planets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but with deals. Exactly. Right. That's, That's some old deals. Eighty shit right they there. All get sucked in and eaten up by us. They're all yours. Yeah, they're all ours. So just Everybody everyone just know stop marketing. No, <laughs> and they're all ours. So we we're, we have a lot more to do in this market. We're we're getting a lot out of it, but I think we can go much deeper, and I think that we can be more efficient and better at what we're doing. I just said the other day we had a team um, meeting with everybody in our team. Uh, we do it once a month, but. I said right now I would compare our business to a rambunctious adolescent like 
just sort of like aggressive, out of control a little bit, not real smart, not making good decisions necessarily, but working hard and just flailing around. And, you know, we're just, we're, we're working hard. What we're trying to do now is we're having success and money's coming in. It's, it's great. But we know that there's a lot of inefficiencies and there's, there's a lot of things that we could be a little bit more sophisticated about how we handle our business. So now what we're trying to do is grow up a little bit, get a little bit smarter about how we do things, maybe not spend more money, but spend our money better, right? More efficiently, more intelligently, and go deeper, as they say, instead of wider, right? We're going to try to go deeper in Michigan. That's that's the next immediate. And I'm talking about like in the next three to four months. Beyond that, um, we're, we're probably going to go in other places in Michigan to do the exact same thing, set up shop and do the same thing. Expansion. And then expansion. And then in the very not too distant future, go outside of Michigan, do the same thing. Nom, nom, motherfucker. He's coming for you. It's coming for you. And, and the, the beautiful thing is about our, our, our business and the way that we do it and the way a lot of people, not just us, is we have an infrastructure. And that infrastructure can do everything they do for deals. They don't. In other words, our closing coordinator, um, our phone guy, our bookkeeper... All these people can handle deals coming from another state. Yeah, it's not geographically it's based. It's not geographically right? based it at all. Be anywhere. All we need is an acquisitions person. We need yeah. we need to hire one individual in every market. And our machine, so to speak, can handle all of what's coming in. And we can we can scale that as necessary, but I know a lot of very successful wholesalers that do deals in multiple markets with no more personnel than we have. So our capacity could probably handle at least another two or three markets before we have to even think about doing anything in terms of hiring. We just need one acquisitions guy. And here's the beauty. Mike and I are full-time. So <clears throat> to move into another market means maybe Mike has to go there with his wife and, and son and set up camp for six months, train somebody, get them up and running, go to the next one, right? So it's a, it's very doable, and that's sort of our plan. Go much deeper in Michigan, get better, get smarter, take all of that knowledge and experience and infrastructure, and move it into new markets. Man, the future's bright. That's, that's what we're doing. How you're doing that. We'll see if it works, right? All right, so we call this section, I don't know, it's like the success, the habits. If you have a routine, a morning routine that you think helps you succeed, you're laughing. We're on radio. But he, <laughs> he was curling. laughing right now. He's not even hearing this, and he, yeah. he already is going to start laughing. Curl, he was curling his lips. I always say that. Or books you recommend, podcasts, whatever. Yeah. Um, this would be. God, I'm going to blow your last segment off really badly. That's fine. That's All right. You go ahead. I'll let one. you ask. If you want to ask it, or do you want me to start talking? No, just that. Okay. That's this is it. This is okay. I'm just. I'm always curious because this is how I find new people uh, to listen. New this books is super un, un, uninspiring. Um, we'll so I get up early for me. Unfortunately, my partner wakes up at like four thirty five o'clock because he's got a son and he's just an early riser. So I apparently sleep in till seven thirty. <laughs> That's like three hours after he's been awake. I already have a half a dozen emails and three text messages every day when I wake up. So I sleep in until 730. Now, for me, if you know me or if you're my family's listening, they're, they can't believe I get up at 730 because I'm not an early. I'm not a morning person. But I get up around 730 every day. Um, usually I have a cup of coffee, sit down and watch 15 to 20 minutes of something on TV just to wake up and have coffee. Um, and, and I don't really have a routine, so I'm just giving you real, I'm being real general because every day is a little bit different. Um, usually then, uh, what I'll do is I'll answer the 500 questions or qu emails from Mike, whatever he's, you know, whatever we have going on. 
I'm being facetious, Mike. I know you're going to listen to this. Um, but I'll, I'll address things that he's asked me. Um, I'll look through all my emails. I usually get a ton of emails. I'll show you this. Michael, Mike loves this. Hang on a second. Uh, my email count. That's my email count. Oh my God. That's 85,000. I have 85,000 emails. Now, in all fairness, it's a lot. It's all, it's all junk mail. It's not like important stuff or somebody where I have to, I have to take care of it. I just don't delete anything. So I have, and all these emails. So, anyways, I get all the emails. I sift through those, and then usually go right into the office and start working on whatever it is that is is the focus of that day or that week. Um, sometimes it's growth stuff. Sometimes it's training for our employees to try to hand off certain things that I'm doing now and, and give them that that responsibility. Um, I handle right now all of the outbound marketing to sellers. So sometimes I'm working on getting that marketing going, getting it deployed. Um, you know. Mike and I have various meetings with people like stuff like this or just somebody who wants to sit and have coffee or an investor who wants to sit down and talk about, you know, his his money that that we're utilizing. Um I go out to jobs that we are flipping or or doing some work to and kind of look at those jobs or talk to the general who's working on them and find out why we're late on everything. Um yeah, that's the fucking truth right there. Yeah, I don't even you want don't to have those We don't have time for that. Why are you under budget and ahead of schedule? Never had the conversation yeah. ever? No, usually yeah. it doesn't happen. But um, So we look at that kind of stuff. And, and really what Mike and I, Mike was a day-to-day out there talking to the sellers kind of guy. And my my part of it is basically everything else. So it's the financial side of it. It's the marketing side. And it's all the growth strategies and trying to figure out where, where do we go next? How do we, what are we going to do next? And Mike was pretty much focused on sales. Now he was obviously doing some, um, you know, owner quote unquote owner things, things that he did that we couldn't have a sales guy do, but he was, he a lot of his time was taken up with sales. Now that we hired that out, Mike's starting to focus a little bit more on the big picture and, and growth strategies and training for the new guy. So that's kind of where we're focused now. Um, as far as success strategies, for me, I I will admit readily that if I'm going to do something and I don't write it on my whiteboard or do it immediately, it'll just disappear in my head. So I'm not a guy, I'm not a huge note guy, and I, I don't love like Evernote and things like that that people use to keep track of things. I have my, my, uh, my phone calendar where I put things in that I need to remember, but if it's something I need to do, I do it right then. Or I write it on my whiteboard behind my desk so I can remember to do it. Um, Mike's super organized about tasks and having them remind him and reminders and alarms and you know his phone shaking him to wake him up and tell him to do something. I'm not that savvy with that kind of stuff, so I, I need to get it done right away. Um, but so as far as success strategies, I would say just implement fast. That's really what we try to do, Speed. whether we remember or not. We try to implement fast. You know, if it's if it's an idea worth doing, it's worth doing right now. Right. If it's not worth doing right now or as soon as you can, it's probably not a great idea. That's you know, why point. aren't you doing it? So we try to implement right away. As far as books, I don't really read a lot of books on on success or strategy anymore. Any book, any book you think it would be helpful or um, helpful to you. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Yeah, I mean the E Myth Revisited. Everyone talks about that. That's a big one. I did read Rich Dad Poor Dad. You know, right when I started doing doing real estate, I got way into Rich Dad Poor Dad type stuff. Um, I think it's a good basic thing. It's not like it's going to give you a lot of high level strategies, but it's good for just giving you the basics of investing. Um, honestly, you know, one of the <laughs> this is probably not going to go over well. One of the books that I read <laughs> when I was younger, when I was, I think I was in high school. No, I was, it was at a, it was outside of high school. It was, it was in my twenties. Um, Art of the deal, loved it. 
I thought it was it's a great book. book. What do you mean it's not going to go? Well, well, you know, I don't know if Trump is. I I looked at your posters on the way in. I'm not sure if Trump is who we're who we're backing hey, in this election. I like Amanda, who owns this shop, but uh, I, and I am a political atheist. Uh, but fact of the matter is, guy's a billionaire for a reason. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was. Kind of, I mean, I'm not saying it shaped my life, but it was just a book that opened my eyes a little bit. I liked it. I liked the idea. I like everybody who's ever worked with him says he is the best person they've ever worked with with getting deals done. So I don't. And then you look at all the deals he got done. It yeah. seems like that would be a good book. Yeah, a pretty amazing life. And you know, his persona maybe turns a lot of people off. Pretty amazing guy. But anyways, I just like I like his aggressiveness in business. I like how he basically doesn't even you know he doesn't consider failure, which is you know Mike and I are a little bit like that. We don't really think about all of the bad things that can happen because if we did, we would we would just stop right now because a lot of bad stuff can happen. So. We don't really consider that. So I would say implementing right away. As far as books, I've read a few books in the way up. I, I really haven't. I don't read all the time to, to get into that. Podcasts, I'm hot and cold. I, I'll go through periods where I listen to real estate podcasts a lot. And then I'll go through long periods where I don't listen to any business podcasts. It's all entertainment. I already mentioned, I think, that I listen to like Adam Carolla podcast. Yeah. I love it. I Dude, like I, love I like Adam to Carolla. laugh. I mean, yeah. I'm, I work from morning till night on real estate. I'm thinking about real estate. Sometimes when I get in my car, I want to listen to something that entertains me and makes me laugh because as soon as I get out of the car, I'm back in real estate mode. So, but that being said, there's a lot to learn on a real estate podcast. So as far as real estate goes, no, any podcast, it could be, yeah, be, sure. Any podcast, any podcast. Yeah. Just, I, I listen to the bigger pockets podcast or I, I have, that's one that I have listened to. I listen to your podcast. Um, oh, you do? Yeah, I do. Oh, awesome. Thank yeah. you. Of course. It's great. I, I don't listen to my own podcast because why would I? It's my podcast. I, I, I love it. I recommend it, but I, I it's I'm not gonna listen to myself. Um I listen to uh I have a friend named Justin Williams. Um he's a podcaster out in California, a house flipper. I listen to his podcast. What's it called? Uh it is called House Flipping HQ. House Flipping HQ. All right, I'll look it up. Yeah, he's the real deal. He's for real. See, guy this is flips, why I like asking this question. He flips you know? like 150 houses a year, and he's he's not. It's not like he used to do that. He's doing it this year and last year and next year. He's he's Dude, for that's real. That's serious. That's house in California. It's crazy. House flipping HQ. Sorry, everybody. No, that's podcast. Cool. Like, oh, here we go. Yeah, I got it. Thank I listened you. to Joe McCall's podcast. Um, Please tell me you're familiar because I'm drawing a blank right now. I am. I do. Okay. I, I try to listen to his podcast. Uh, I listen to Sean Terry's. I have listened to Sean Terry's a little bit. I, you know, I like. He's he's okay. I mean, he's. I love his stuff, but his fucking radio voice sometimes. He's yeah. like extra over the top. Yeah, the, he is. I, I get. I shy. Away. He's so successful. Actually, I mean, I shy away from those guys sometimes because. Sometimes I, I find, and I'm not new to the industry, so maybe if I was new, I would disagree, but I find the information so high level, like so like broad that I, I just can't, I can't get excited about it. So, but I do, I do recognize that he, he knows what he's doing. I listen to Adam Crowley religiously. Um, I just started listening to uh, Mark Marin, the, the comedian guy. He's, he has a super big podcast. It's a comedy thing, but I was just listening to that when I was here. But anyway, so I listen to like a mixture of of real estate, and then sometimes I'll go through phases where it's like just something to entertain me. Dude, you like Bill Burr? I've I know who he is. I've never listened to him really. Dude, you should check out his podcast. Is he, he has a podcast. Well, like any podcast, some are better than others. Yeah. But as I listen to it, is how to structure and how to speak in a podcast how to tell you have some of the similarities where you tell stories yeah i tend to just tell the story he builds it up you kind of build it up too okay you talk about what you're going to say and all so you have some similarities but i let bill burr if you like the comedy thing yeah 
He has a Monday and a Thursday. Okay, I'll check podcast. it out. Uh, I'll check it out. Hitting yeah, us sometimes. I'm always looking. And the great thing about podcasts is you can honestly you scroll through them and see yeah. if the, the the guest or the subject matter is interesting to you. Right. So that's a great thing. Bill Bird always does it alone, except for his wife Mia. Sometimes, like, really? Yeah, that's that's pretty hard. He, he talks two, three hours a week by himself most of the time. Yeah, that's hard to do. That's tough. Yeah, I know that is not easy to do. <laughs> yeah, you um, did for a year and a half. It's like, hard, it's man. Hard. But I, I tell you what, I I'm actually I'm introverted enough that sometimes it's easier for me to talk with myself there because I don't have to be. How do I feel? Engaging. Self? Great. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're doing such a great job, Mike. Keep going. God, you look so good today. You did a really so, good job with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, uh, so I get up late, seven thirty. Uh, I drink coffee for fifteen minutes. Mike's probably gonna be mad. What are you talking about? Why don't you start working? Get into my emails and then just start working in the office. Usually, um, usually I have one or two things I need to do outside of of my home office. Um, books, not a huge book guy. Uh, podcast, we talked about that. Um, you know, really, all I can say is is. If you don't implement quickly, I think that'll kill you because everyone is is really good. I think, and I I am too sometimes, of talking myself out. <coughs> talk, no, you're fine. Talking myself out of a good idea by letting it simmer too long. Oh, dude, I've done that so many times. Just yeah, do it. That. Like if it's like I said, if it's worth, if it's a good idea, you should be doing it. Dude, immediately. I have this argument with my wife ever. I think her entire goal in life is to slow everything down to a fucking snail's pace. Like, <laughs> wait, 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 let's drag this down to a pace that nobody would enjoy. Yeah, like yeah. no, let's fucking do it now yeah that's that's probably the i mean my wife purposely and strategically doesn't ask about the business any more usually than what i offer now she'll how was your day anything you know anything good happened but it's she doesn't want to know all the details necessarily and it works well because you know it's sort of like if if the only way to win the race is to go 200 miles an hour and she only has a tolerance for 100 miles an hour. Just don't look at a speedometer. Yeah. You know, we're never going to get there if we go 100. And and again, I'm not I'm not trying to put her down anyway. She's she's awesome. And she's smart. And probably I should listen to her more and probably get her advice more. But it makes her too nervous. It's not worth it for her to be stressed out about it. And I have a high tolerance for that kind of risk. So, you know, it's working out as long as it's working out. Right. <laughs> so we'll see. But now it's good. It, it works out better that way. Mike's. You know, Mike's in there with me and he's got a high tolerance and, you know, we don't get freaked out easily. So that's kind of what you that's the person you need to be talking to about the day to day stuff, the person who can handle it. You know, so Mike and I are good at that. Is there anything that I didn't cover that you want to go over? Anything I didn't say now would be the opportunity. We talked about we buy com. It's not fancy. It's one page. Basically, it's a splash page, but it's it's essentially a, a landing spot for anybody who's interested in seeing what deals we have out there. Um we're doing, I don't know, given on any given month, we're, we're probably getting eight to 10 deals, um, done. So, you know, not all of our inventory is out there all the time. I mean, it's a business that has ebbs and flows. So, um, anyways, you'll get regular emails from us, not a ton of them. We don't blast them out two or three times a day, but you'll get emails from us, um, regularly and see what we have going on. Give us a call uh, if you're really interested in something and need more information. Feel free to call. There's always a number there you can call. Right now, it goes to Mike. Eventually, it's going to go to somebody else. But um, yeah, I, I, nothing really. I think we talked about everything. I mean, if they want to check out my podcast, that'd be cool. I think there's some good information there, things that can be learned. So feel free to check that out. I've had some great guests on there, too, that uh, know a lot more than I do. So uh, you know, they're good to listen to as well. But yeah, definitely check that out. It's an excellent podcast. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot 
like a total dickhead. This like is douche great. Bag. Yeah, you're like, oh, great. I love this. There's I'll very little again. that I'm not willing to talk about, but this ought to be good. For my year anniversary for okay. the podcast, year what I wanted okay. to do was put together a wholesaler podcast. Okay. Get you, Steve, Mike Squared, Cowper, um, Ron Wallraven, just however many wholesalers we think we could. Sorry, I'm, I just lost the left. Well, oh, well, fuck it. We're at the end. We'll see if we can't go through. <laughs> okay. I'm having a technical difficulty here. So, sorry. Can you hear me? I'm only hearing out of the right, though. For Anyway, anyway I wanted to have a um, a uh, a wholesaler podcast where I got all the wholesalers together and we just yeah. got together. And kind of like we did that rant earlier about people counting money or something oh, like that. Yeah. If I could pull something like that off, would you be game for that? Yeah, I would totally do it. Like yeah, I said, well, awesome what kind of a douche would I be if I didn't do it? I just said I do everything I'm asked to do. No, I would be happy to do it. I like doing this kind of stuff. Honestly, okay. to me, this is like fun, yeah. right? I mean, putting together that whole thing and and moderating it and trying to keep it flowing and interesting, you've got the hard job. Yeah, um, yeah I'd totally do it. Awesome. I appreciate it. I don't, I don't know when exactly it's going to be. I don't know. I have to go back and see when my anniversary was or whatever but i just yeah. thought i thought that'd be really cool yeah. to get all the wholesalers together just start, let's do it we'll start marketing debates we'll start list debates yeah. we'll start rant it'll just be totally it'd be awesome totally get all yeah, the, we'll we'll be troublemakers the last thing you want is everyone to get in they go yeah totally agree, yeah man. That's that, a good idea i yeah, don't think great. that will happen <laughs> something <laughs> tells me that would not happen so yeah all right i want to thank my guest mike simmons for his time today and i would like to encourage you check his shit out man we buy ROI.com. We buy ROI.com if you're interested in deals in Southeast Detroit and in the future America, maybe Russia later. Check out his podcast, Just Start Real Estate. And if you go to juststartrealestate.com forward slash iTunes, it's right there. Listen to it, rate it. You can send him an email at mike at juststartrealestate.com or mike at we buy ROI.com. And if you enjoy and find this podcast helpful, Give it a like, share it. Um, if you haven't already, rate it on iTunes. I, that shit really does help. It is a free podcast too, so I really do appreciate it. If you have any comments or suggestions, go to renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in attending the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegadedetroitinvestors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat at Jeremy Burgess. And yes, T minus 30 days and counting, go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit wholesalers and you will be able to watch this on youtube i appreciate your patience with that and as i wrap up this podcast i do want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent i know i do it every week stop fucking waiting listen to mike get some speed start doing some stuff i know they're just distractions mistakes poisonous people bad habits all that shit keeping you from sticking to your goals stick with it pick a goal don't give up do something every day that gets you closer even if it's one step and i want to thank you for listening I really do appreciate your attention. I know you could be doing lots of other things. And until the next podcast, crush it.